You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. to the 602 club we're here I, I can't believe it. it's the last show of the year and it's huge it's massive it's big uh it it's in, gonna be incredible i'm so excited to be here in the watering hole the the trek fm network it's whoo man keep the drinks flowing ruby because we're gonna need them tonight um we are talking the force awakens uh it's going to be a blast. And before we jump in, I just want to remind everybody that 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of our shows at trek.fm online. You can also find us on iTunes at itunes.com slash trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. We have our listeners-only discussion group where we'd love to talk about The Force Awakens with you finally. And to get there, you're going to want to go to Facebook, type Babel into the search field, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, because I'd love to have some voicemails from you guys about The Force Awakens, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Well, I have a bang up, awesome, amazing panel for you tonight. Uh, I've got such amazing guests as Supreme Leader Gollum, Bruce Solo, FN88800, as well as Maz's boyfriend, all here tonight in the 602 Club. It's it's going to be fantastic. Uh, if you don't know those people, uh, let me introduce them to you. John, welcome to the 602 Club. Ah, well, yes, I'm here again. I feel like I, I feel like I never left. I feel ready. I feel the force flowing through me. Little voices are whispering to me, telling me what I need to do tonight. And that's You've taken your first step into a larger world. Yes. Um, Bruce Solo, Bruce Gibson, it's great to have you back, of course, to talk some Star Wars. I'm so snoked to be here right now. That's, yeah, I'm that out. is a I'm out. I can't top pun. that one time tonight. I'm done. I'm out. Hey, I'm not even and that's talk. not the first time I've said that. I keep saying that all the time. It's going to be with me for about another month. <laughs> really it's I'm, a I'm thinking you're probably going to try to wear out that joke by the time rogue one hits next year oh i'm so snooked for that too <laughs> <laughs> and darren moser darren i'm excited to have a member of the 501st back with us you talked aftermath with us and now you're here to talk a little force awakens and are you actually fn 88800 
Uh, sure, I can be. No, we did. We did notice finally that we get the designation numbers for the first order troopers as FN, and then our Jakku traitor. You know, he has his number, but I just substituted my uh, my standard TK number, triple eight double O. Ah, okay, excellent. Way easier to say it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um. Quickly, I you know, I don't think this will be as big, but for you guys, I kind of wanted to know what your episode seven experiences were like, you know, uh, going to the theater to see a new Star Wars movie. This one is huge. It's breaking box office records. I mean, I just read as reading an article. Could this be the first three billion dollar film? So, I mean, what was your guys experience, you know, going to the theater? When did you go and and. What was your first impression, your first viewing? What about you, Darren? Well, I had many friends who actually went to the Monday premiere in Hollywood. I'm not jealous at all. But uh, they had a great time uh, time there. But I went with 10 friends to a local theater, just keeping it simple. We camped out. Uh, my wife and I did all day, just talking star wars actually we talked we didn't talk star wars because we didn't want to talk star wars anymore we were ready to just watch the movies we talked about other things but yeah i wore my imperial officer's uniform as it is prohibitive to sit in a stormtrooper at at all so yeah but it was great we did the seven o'clock thursday showing so the first time we could see it and it was great we were like done by 9 30 you know midnight showings i think my days are done with uh, staying up that late <laughs> if, I, if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was great. Seeing it with friends, seeing it in the theater, uh, just the energy, The uh, every time major characters came, every time, I mean, just when it starts with the Star Wars logo, uh, it was incredible. It's, it's I, I do not wish seeing The Force Awakens for the first time by yourself in a small room on anyone because... You're going to get such a great experience seeing it in the theater. All these people who want to see this movie are sitting around you, and it shows. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. What about you, Bruce? Uh, What was your episode seven experience like? Well, I went to see it on Thursday night at 8 p.m., and I was down at the theater about four hours before it started because the Hoth Lanta Rebels, which is a local Star Wars fan group, had a party going on with ice skating and games and toys for kids. And there was media there. And and we had our microphones for Cloud State Casino with us. And we were interviewing people and calling people. And then around 7 o'clock, we were able to go into the theater and get our seats. And I'm assuming we're doing spoilers, of course, on the show. Oh, yeah. We're going to spoil this thing rotten. So when we got there, we sat down, and my co-host from Cloud State Casino, Michael Morris, is sitting there, and his wife goes to get popcorn and stuff, and we're sitting there, and a couple is sitting in front of us, and the one woman turns to her husband, and she says, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, Han dies anyway. And Michael looks at me. He's like, what? What? I'm like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. I was like, unbelievable. Like, just minutes minutes before and she's going to drop a spoiler on it. It was just so wrong. But anyway, it was a great experience. The audio quality in our theater, it was a 2d showing, but the audio audio quality in the theater wasn't up to snuff. So that put a little bit of a damper on it. But I mean, the crowd was clapping and going wild through the whole thing. So it was incredible. It was a great experience. What about you, John? Uh, Well, I mean, I, I agree the the festival the festival atmosphere was uh, fantastic. Yeah, that, that was a great aspect of it. 
uh, went to an 850 showing um, at an Alamo Draft House. Got a, uh, that's right here, uh, limited edition uh, Mondo Very art nice. glass that you could only get if you went there. Got their limited edition magazine. Place was fever pitch. There were there was there was somebody uh, that, you know there were five hundred first people there, and there was somebody in a, a Boba Fett outfit that was legit. Like had the even had the digital readout uh, on the upper left breastplate. I was like, well, like I actually went up and shook the hand. I was like, that is attention to detail. Like that was spot on. So everybody's hyped. I mean, we were we were there a little bit early. We got dinner beforehand. We're like bouncing. They're like everybody's just going crazy. Um, there was a woman who came out of a showing of another movie, I, I guess Road Chip, but she came out of another movie. Oh, that poor lady. Yeah, so, but she saw everybody. She was obviously not a Star Wars fan. She saw everybody standing around, and she just muttered a curse under her breath about everybody as she walked past. And it was like, well, yeah, well, you know, hey, this is the way it is. So we sit down, lights went down, and the crowd, it was it was weird because... It was almost as if, like, almost an out-of-body experience to have the crowd's experience occurring around. Like, it, it was a slightly unreal experience because you were there seeing Star Wars and there were so many different things going on. But I just, I will never forget how, I don't think I've ever been in a movie theater where there has been a, since 1999, where there has been a crowd more ready for what was about to happen and it was it was pretty great from from uh from that perspective for me i went with my wife uh we were at uh a 740 show here on the west coast which means you guys had already seen the movie and uh we had a great experience in the sense of you know walking in some five first members we had a boba fayette there as well along with a couple of stormtroopers people taking pictures of course jedi walking around we were going to a 3D show, and unfortunately for us, the the glasses at this place, the 3D, it just didn't work as well. So it was a little underwhelming, I think, a little frustrating trying to watch it. Just didn't, it wasn't great. I've seen it in 3D again in IMAX, and it was much better presentation. So, uh, I, on a whole, though, I, you know. It was fantastic. Like you guys said, I mean, people are cheering. I mean, the last time I remember being in a film like this was probably episode three in 2005. And I mean, you know, the, the same thing happens. The Lucasfilm logo comes up and everybody's like, yeah, you know, uh, no fanfare, uh, which is a little disappointed about no Lucasfilm fanfare. Um, but, you know, then, of course, the I, I do have to say the one 3D effect that is just amazing is watching that crawl go up in 3D. And there's just something about it. Yeah. It was just, uh, it, oh, it just, it, it was cool. And, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I will say that coming out of the film, um, the first time, my, my, my first thought was, it's okay. You know, I, and I had a lot of issues with it. And, uh, John, you'll attest to this. Uh, Bruce, you will too. We have talked uh, extensively together just online about and, and running ideas past each other and those kind of things. It's definitely been a process, and I don't know if that just isn't the thing about adding something to Star Wars. You have to process it, you know, as a fan, especially if you've been one your whole life. And um, 
Although at the same time, I'm one of the probably very few people who saw the original Clone Wars film in the theater and immediately accepted it as Star Wars. I didn't have any issues with it. I don't know if that just has something to do with it's George and there's there is a difference. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I agree with you. There is a difference. And I I've also seen it. Uh, I've seen it three times by this point. And I did struggle with a lot of things, but it was and this is speaking to your point about sort of I think it works against against some of us to have been as steeped in Star Wars as we were going into it Um, because what my wife said that was that really sort of like shook some things loose she said some other things that were that you know she's she's a she's a bright lady but um, she she looked at me and she was like you know everything that you're talking to me about right now she goes that is not what the average person is seeing in the movie. She goes, you are coming at it from a hardcore fan's perspective where you have let this just seep into the very marrow of your soul and you're judging it from that vantage point. And so that was after the second showing. And then when I went to see it in the third showing and sort of spun it that way, I suddenly realized that I liked it a lot better, a lot better by the third time than I did the first. The first time I was very standoffish with it. I was not ready to accept it. But I I do think that you do have to sort of be mentally prepared to to accept it. Like you you have to be there. You have to be ready for that. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's my take. That's my own journey to The Force Awakens, as it were. I also think that... um... And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this because I think it's true. Uh, this movie is made by people on a whole that, you know, J.J. did say that they're standing on the shoulders of one through six. But for the most part, these are people who are fans of the original trilogy. And I think that that definitely is, comes to play here. Um, I think it comes to play in some of the storytelling elements that they leave out that could have been helpful if they had left in because they are people who think of Star Wars in one mode uh, and and not as a whole uh, as much. And, um, you know, I I don't know if that's so much of a knock as just the truth, really. Every, from everything that they've talked about, you know, this is going back to real sets, practical effects. How many times have we heard that, have heard that language? And so it is very clear, not only from the plot of this film— <laughs> which is a blatant ripoff of Star Wars, um, but it, everything else, that, that that's where they're coming from. So I think knowing that will probably be helpful if you haven't seen it. And if you have, you you know exactly what we're talking about. It, these are people who definitely, for the most part, um, that are high up in charge are the ones who... It, it's the original trilogy for them, that Star Wars. And maybe some prequel things... Uh, or ideas will leak in later on uh, as they have, as we've talked about John extensively with the books where it it seems very seamless, but um, there is a feeling of divorcedness from the larger star Wars universe for me in this film. And I think that that took me a while to get used to Um, as I've seen it more. I see some more similarities with some of the things we might see in the PT, but on a whole, this is very, OT centric uh, and I think that's what they wanted and and uh, I just have to accept that so 
Um, I don't know. What do you, Bruce? What do you think? Because I mean, obviously, we talked the prequels, and I know that you're a fan as well. How did you feel about this as you were experiencing it the first time? After I saw the film, I was, as I say, numb to it because that's the same way I was with the Phantom Menace when I first saw it. Because you're so familiar with the films that when you see something new, it's it's almost too much to take in on the first viewing. It's only, you have to adjust. You've got new characters and situations. And when you're so familiar with those other films and you know them backwards and forwards and inside and out, and then you get something new, you just almost have to get more and more familiar with it to really know how you feel about it. So by the second time I saw it, I felt more comfortable and more relaxed in watching it. Cause I think, you know, going in to view it, the first time with all the hype, it was almost this sense of relief afterwards of it's here, it's happened, the hype has died down, I'm going to bed. <laughs> but um, the feel of the film has more of that original trilogy feel to it. I wouldn't say it feels exactly like the original trilogy, but it feels more like the OT than it does the PT, which is perfect because this follows those OT films. This is episode seven. I think it would be too much if we go from the big expansive universe of the PT into the smaller, more intimate characters and groups of the OT and then jump back into this big portrayal of, of tons of troops and, and lots of different world presentations and odd things going on when we get to the sequel trilogy i think you've got to gradually if you're going to go big gradually build that universe again maybe in the next couple of films so i thought it was a nice perfect transition if you're watching the ot going into this one yeah i think that, i think that's that makes sense um and we'll talk about some other things later that where i think it would have helped if they had latched on to a few of the pt ideas but uh, this film, as you guys were talking about, it's rife with new characters and old ones as well. Uh, so I wanted to break those down, and and um, it's hard. I don't know which new character to start with. I don't think I want to start with that one. There, I, I want to talk. Poe is the first one that we meet. Um, you know, he's the guy. Uh, he's talking to a character whose name we never get on screen. So. Uh, you know, other than we know from the crawl, he's an important guy. Um, but it's never mentioned on screen what his name is. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you guys, what did you guys think about Poe? Uh, you know, uh, brand new character. And we've got Oscar Isaac here as this character, which, uh, God, it, what a brilliant pick. So uh, what did you guys think about Poe? I'll go. Uh, Poe is a good character. Um, I think that, uh, unfortunately, they made him too flip with his uh, first interaction with Kylo Ren. There's one line wait, wait, that you I would have like... cut from from his introduction. Do you uh, talk or do I talk? Yeah, that was a little much. Um, but I thought on the whole, Poe was a great character. I liked Poe a lot. I, I thought he was played well. I thought that he was, you know, contrary to, uh, you know, other pilot characters that they've had uh, like wedge who had, you know, sort of like a fan base built up. There truly was a sense of a backstory to this guy that 
you know, it, it felt natural. It felt organic for him to be who he was. Poe was awesome. I went into this film knowing beforehand that I was going to like Ray and Finn, and I didn't really have any feeling if what I was going to think of Poe. But within the first few minutes, I was like, all right, I'm liking this guy. He's he's a, he, he comes across as a pilot hero. I can just tell that this guy is going to be the guy that's going to be the guy that's in the that the best pilot in the galaxy, and he's kind of a smart ass, but he's a that's nice guy. That's one hell of a pilot. It's one hell of a pilot. <laughs> yeah, it, that that's how I felt about him. Exactly like what Finn did there. I mean, I thought he was awesome. I was like, all right, you know what? I was very, I was just surprised how much I like Poe. I'm not gonna say he's my favorite character, but he's close to it. I liked his interaction with BB-8. I think having the character mm, be yeah. a droid lover and just having... You could tell there was a history between the two. Like, that was his droid. And that was great. My my favorite post scene is just... I call it his ace scene, where he comes in over the lake and just... I counted. I watched the second time today. And, like, in a matter of seconds, he takes out, like, ten enemies. Just He's just going up and down and side. And just, like, tie after tie after tie after troopers after tie and it's just like the energy that they used in that scene you know i mean that's a that's definitely a show don't tell like oh he's an ace look he's got a lot of marks on his helmet no you just saw him obliterate like a squadron and that was it was a lot of fun he is a fun character i mean he was obviously the han solo formula replacement and we actually had han solo in this movie so he didn't get as much to do because Mm -hmm. of you know that kind of competition, but I was, I was kind of okay with his character getting as little screen time as it did. I know we're going to see more of him. I know he's going to probably play a much bigger role. Uh, you know, obviously not flying the Falcon, but doing something, uh, in the, in the next movie. He's the kind of guy you want to have a beer with, like sit in the 602 club oh, and yeah. have a beer with. Yeah. Yeah. He would fit here and he has great taste in jackets. I would have he stolen does. a jacket too. Yes. They're selling that jacket at a really nice place that actually makes exact replicas. Yeah, for like what, eight hundred bucks or something? Six hundred and seventy-five bucks. Oh, so. oh well, uh, no, I was off. Yeah. Six seventy-five. Now we're yeah. talking. Even Poe didn't pay you that um, much for that jacket. No, he didn't. Well, and he just gave it away. So to Finn, he's like, yeah, Finn just stole it. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's no my respect jacket. For what he thought were the dead. I mean, was it? Didn't Lando steal Han's jacket? You know, his vest. Okay, I mean, now he's... see, I have I have an explanation for that, which is that uh, Lando. It was so stressful escaping Cloud City that Lando had messed himself and didn't have an opportunity to get new clothes, <laughs> so he borrowed Han's clothes. And before they went to Tatooine, they stopped off at like an intergalactic Coles or something like that, and he got new clothes. <laughs> Intergalactic Coles. Car- Karelia Coles. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like they that. they got their uh, they they were able to find those hard to find action figures that you can only find at Coles <laughs> because nobody else yeah. knows they're there. So that's yeah. excellent. Um, I'm I, you know, I kind of with you, Bruce. I didn't know what to expect about Poe because he wasn't as front and center as Ray and Finn were in things. And I, I John personally, the line of how does this work? Do I talk? Do you talk first? I love that he was the character that. Uh, was using humor to disarm the enemy or, and to make himself feel more comfortable because uh, he also does that when he's talking to Kylo in the interrogation chamber and he's like, maybe you should uh, rethink your strategy. Uh, you know, I, I liked his his whole persona and 
you know, it's hard to come off like you said, Darren. You literally have Han Solo in this film. So having a character who is so much like him actually work was great. And what I thought made him work was his interaction with Finn at the beginning of the movie when they're stealing it. And he's like, oh, we're going to do this. You know, and that whole interaction they have, like, where he Finn cuts through like, and he's you like, you need a yeah. pilot. Like, you're not actually. Yeah, like, yeah that, exactly. I, that's the, the warmness of I your really heart. Liked. It's yeah. like, you need a pilot. He's like, I need a pilot. It's like, well, hey, I, I don't fault you there. Let's go. You know, right. you, you still have the blaster at this moment. So, of course, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. I'll, I am a tiny bit surprised he never, like, at all seems suspicious that Finn, like, might not might be trying to trick him. Like, at all. I mean, maybe he didn't have any other choice, but maybe that's just not how the First Order rolls. They don't use subterfuge. They're like, oh, you're a defector. Okay, welcome aboard. Have a jacket. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think that uh, I think that it's the fact that he took his helmet off, mm. like because because you have that earlier bit of business where he's having his PTSD moment, and he takes his helmet off, and Phasma is there, who somehow manages to hide, even though she's walking in a reflective surface with feet. But like you know, he walks in and takes his helmet off, and you instantly find out that taking your helmet off is like no, you don't no, do yeah. that. So I think no, I've trooped a lot and you don't take your helmet off. It breaks. Uh, yeah, no, they, they don't like it when yeah. you do that. Yeah. So so maybe that's the 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 give the bit of character business that lets. Poe but I can understand because you can't see a thing out of those helmets. Let me just say yeah. <laughs> the new ones. <laughs> oh, it's uh, uh, small children are enemy. The, the blind spot is pretty much like waist high right in front of you. You <laughs> have just given the explanation then for why the Ewoks beat them. It's, it, they didn't even there know they were there. They're like, it's like, is there a ghost? Is something attacking <laughs> yeah. me? What's going what, on? What through that? Yeah. Well, that's why they're such bad shots, too. I mean, you know, there's so many blind spots with that helmet. And that's why yeah. Maz has lived for a thousand years, because the stormtroopers <laughs> could never see her either. There you go. So, yeah, I, I got there. I love Poe. I just I love Poe. I think he's a fantastic character. And, and like you guys were saying, he is just a hell of a character. Like. The way that they show him piloting, I mean, he's doing things in an X-Wing we've never seen anybody do, obviously, because we could do that with CGI, not practical effects. Um, no, know, no, they build X-Wings. Have... They actually, they're flying. They're, they're real. No, they're not. Yeah. Uh, and so I love that. I, I think it's fantastic to have a character like him, and I really enjoyed his character. I can't wait to see more of him. And in fact, I'm going to plug it now. John and I soon, and in, in the next few weeks, we'll try to talk about it when we can. Uh, Before the Awakening is a three-story book with Ray, Finn, and Poe, and each one of those stories is definitely worth reading. So if you want to know more about these characters before they hit The Force Awakens, it's so worth reading. It really adds to their characters and kind of gives you more in-depth. So I really appreciated that, especially watching that uh, film again today. Um. I do want to talk about FM2187, uh, otherwise known as Leia's cell number. Um, and Finn is an interesting character. And I think maybe, I don't know, he felt in some ways very unique for the Star Wars universe. And wondering what y'all's take is. John? I disliked Finn a great deal uh, after the first time I watched the film. The second time, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then when I watched it the third time, I'd had that 
infamous conversation with my wife that, uh, that I mentioned previously. And what she helped me unlock is that he's the Jar Jar character of this movie. He's given the zany comic lines. He's a bit of a bumbling outcast. He doesn't feel like he belongs to the society he came from. Now, you may feel that he's a more successful, blah, blah, blah. I'm not arguing those points. I'm saying that once I was able to sort of detach and not expect him to be a profound character, but rather the comic relief character, I grew to enjoy him a great deal and actually like the character now because I feel like I figured out his place in the narrative. And um, But regardless, uh, I think that uh, John Boyega did a great job of playing him and uh, like, since he is the comic relief, like one of the he has one of the best moments in the entire film, which is when he gives the thumbs up to BB-8, and BB-8 gives him the thumbs up back. Like that is that's comic. That, that is comic gold. My kids are still talking about that, like thirty six hours later. Wait, like, you took it as a thumbs up because I took it as that BB-8 was giving him the finger. Oh really? No, no, that <laughs> yeah. was definitely no, a droid. Thumbs that was up. a thumbs up. That was a like. Okay. Good. That's just how I took it. Like BB-8 was not happy with what happened. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. No, I. Uh, I'm going with thumbs up. I prefer yeah, that, no. that read. Yeah, I. I would only make the substitution of if he's the comic relief character. That's more in line with like C-3PO and R2D2 were in the originals. I mean, they were obviously the comic relief. They got the funny banter and such. Uh, I was again as a fellow stormtrooper was like, look, a stormtrooper is going to be a main character. This is great. Uh, and he's, you know, he's maybe a stormtrooper for 10 minutes and then uh, he defects. But um, no, I think it's traitor. Yeah, traitor. You know, you get the you yell a lot of traitor at him. He's he's a pretty good shot. Apparently, that's whether it be blaster or blaster cannon. Uh, that's kind of I, I've I've heard some people say he kind of just needs to find that thing he's really good at in the next film which I'm hoping will kind of fall into place. But yeah, I enjoyed Finn's role and, and John just blows out of the water. He's just, it's very hard to deliver fantasy lines convincingly. Uh, And I think he does a really good job of that. And I mean, we'll get into it later when we talk more about Ray, but I think that his natural on-screen chemistry with, with Ray is, is a highlight of the film. I mean, they just yeah. instantly bond in this friendship role. Uh, and it's, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I wish he'd been wearing the white a little bit more cause it's really cool. Maybe show us what's in some of those pouches. I mean, I have inquiring minds want to know, but I guess we'll just got to put them in the jacket cause the jacket was sells. <laughs> the jacket. I am better. with the resistance. I'm with the resistance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This, this is, is what, what we, we look, look like. like. I mean, not all of us, but not all of us. Some of us look different. I, just would never had imagined to hear anyone say that Finn is the Jar Jar Binks of the Force Awakens. That floored me right there when you said that, John. I, but I'm saying it as a positive. I, I want to point that okay, out. It's a I, positive. I I I like Finn. I like. I knew I was going to like Finn going in, and I still think he's an awesome character. And the reason he has those comedic moments is that he's not the Force-sensitive character. He's not the big hero pilot. He's the every guy that just happened to be in the First Order as a stormtrooper and kind of sucked at it. 
and uh, he was sanitation. So he didn't even have an important job. And he's thrown in the middle of all this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just wait until, you know, the trash compactor backs up in the middle of your hallway. Yeah. And you tell me sanitation's not important. I, I'm with Darren on this one. <laughs> th th that's, that's, uh, that's an elitist point of view about stormtroopers right there. <laughs> Sanitation's extremely, extremely Look, the first important. order is really small. We got to do double duty. You know, front line, especially when somebody does double sanitation. duty and we have to clean it up in sanitation. Exactly. So That's our motto. You're saying you would like to have a Star Wars movie that focus on, focuses on sanitation and the problems that come with it? No, I don't want I, him to focus no. on it. That's why we focus on his other role of a stormtrooper, which is awesome. You know what? I didn't want that until you said it. I want a Sanford and Son type sitcom set in the Star Wars universe on Netflix. I want that next fall. Yoda is the big one. Oh my god. The force is strong with you. <laughs> wow. Um so yeah. Whatever I was saying, I like Finn. I think he's he, he had serious <laughs> moments and fun moments. He was great. And kudos to John Boyega. I'm it's funny because I am with you, John, and we talked about this because we were both trying to come with terms with the Finn character, and I like what you said. I do think he is the, the serious comic relief because there isn't a lot of C-3PO in this film who would normally take that and and, uh, and of course then the Jar Jar character in the prequel trilogy is, is who took that so John is the one who gets to do that and, you know watching it again for the fourth time today he does really do it so well he delivers those lines so effortlessly that I, it just it rolls off his tongue like that's just who he is in real life like John Boyega is Finn I feel like in so many ways he's effervescent and he's joyful and he's just glad to be a part of it you know and um, I have come to really like the character much more than I did at the beginning in it I think he really does work and I'm I'm gonna be really interested to see how this all works obviously in the next film because they're all in separate places this new trinity uh, and I'll be interested to see how they do come back together, and I'm hoping that they all get to go on a mission together. Um, hopefully they don't completely just Is that the mission to steal off. the Death Star plans? Because that's the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who says they're not building another one that we don't know about? Come on. The third Death Star. This time it will work. <laughs> well, that is something else we'll talk about later on. Anyway, um, I... I, I hope they don't go the whole route where they do this love triangle thing where they can actually do it this time. I, I don't want to see that, but I, I Finn, it turned out to be a great character. So, and, and again, just his interaction in the very beginning with Ray, that whole, like, Oh, I'm going to rescue. Oh wait, actually, no, she's good. That's wow. She just beat that guy. Sent, oh, okay. You know, that, there's so many great moments you know, seeing Finn interacting with people from Han to Chewie to Ray to, you know, I mean, if he had met C-3PO, it would have been even better. Solo. Uh, did you just call me Solo? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Mr. Han, Han sir. <laughs> Mr. Son, sir. Mr. Solo. Uh, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> oh, that was great. I love that Han kept calling him big deal in the end. That <laughs> was fantastic. But, yeah. Oh, but again, God. as the comic relief, like it, again, big props to John because it is it is really hard to toe that line of doing a, a comedic line that that kind of lets the tension off a little bit, but not 
jar jarring it up. You know, that's just, it's hard to do. And, and I feel that he, you know, really stuck the landing more times, more times than not. Yeah. I would honestly, at this point, I would give John and the performance that he gives with the character, probably in uh, 8.5 to a nine. Like it's so close to, to being perfect because like you're saying, Darren, he's having to toe that comedy line and he's never stepping over to the point where John and I'll go with this the point where people got annoyed with the Jar Jar character where it was they felt right. like it was too yeah. far Jar Jar so stepped that, over the line like the second scene uh, well he also stepped in some poodoo but that's a whole different that's thing that's the scene uh, yeah there you go um, listen I'm just getting messed up because y'all keep referring to John Boyega as John and I'm like well I did do a great no wait no I wasn't in the movie never mind never mind you keep messing with my head with that. You're supreme leader. Uh, no. <laughs> so BB-8, you know, I remember when the first trailer came out and everybody was already on the BB-8 thing. And I was just like, I don't know. It kind of just looks like a soccer ball. It's it, I, Really? Oh, my God. The BB-8 train BB-8. has left the station. I, I'm, yeah. It is rolling BB-8. ahead. <laughs> Is uh, what did you guys think? Did he live up to the hype? Or did he surpass any of the hype for you guys? Surpassed for me. Um, I, and actually, I, I will say because uh, I use the Time Hop app, so you get reminded of uh, asinine things that you say through time. And uh, one of the the great things is when they said that uh, BB-8 was a practical effect. I actually I saw a post of mine come back uh, like a year later that was like, yeah, sure, right, it's CG. I don't believe you, but it's a practical effect. That's fine. They've since proven me wrong, but I thought BB-8 was absolutely charming. I really did. I thought that um, the the you know they didn't have R2 and 3PO through the film, and so BB-8 sort of pulls pulls kind of the R2 duty to I, I guess uh, Finn's C-3PO uh, for at least part of the film. And, but I I thought that I I don't know what. Abrams did that worked so well whether it was the way he framed the shots or 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 had BB-8 interact but just to give life to essentially what is a soccer ball with a droid head like the, the you totally buy the character you totally believe in the character part of that sound design part of that's character design but it's ultimately the way that he was presented or she like or because I think they said BB-8 was a she at some point or something the way that the well, droid, they, the way that the droid yeah, back they started off with, yeah, like they started off with him, yeah, a whole with thing. BB-8 being a she, they thought, and it turned to a he. Whatever, it's who, a droid. Yeah. Who cares? The droid, the droid is presented very well. I think that BB-8 is extremely charming, and I like. Now I'm the sad little boy in Target who can't find the BB-8 because everybody already bought them, and so I got that single tear track going down like the the guy in the uh, the littering commercial. Because I can't find my BB-8 now. I'm very sad. Where have you gone, BB-8? Oh. Well, it's it's interesting what you were talking about the 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 communication, the expression of BB-8. Because like I, I did an event uh, a week ago that had an R2 unit, and R2 is actually it, I, big props to the operators who run them because he's not very expressive. He pretty much has turn the head and turn the body a little bit and beep. Like he doesn't have a lot that he can do. And especially if it's not like uh, where you're switching between props and now he's on two legs and now he's on three and now he's rocking, you know, like 
these don't do that. So, but with BB-8, you know, the, the rolling aside, that's just him getting around, but it's the head and the fact that it can tilt back and forth and it can look around. It can do the, I mean, how many times does he peek around a corner or a shoe and, you know, I mean, he purrs and like shakes and so they just they were able to emote such a performance out of beeps and and whistles and i liked that his beeps and whistles were different than r2s they were this you know they're slightly different but uh i think they were smart in building something that could perform much more than than r2 does i mean even 3po he just kind of like locked shoulder turns in you know it's just hard to move so they did yeah they did a great job doing that with the the puppeteering and the and the practical effects absolutely and he wasn't overplayed i was afraid with all the hype of bb8 that he was going to be too much of a scene stealer but he just was well integrated in the scenes and not overplayed and brought just enough cuteness and a little spunk to certain scenes by not overtaking the the movie and overtaking the scenes and being too much of a presence in the film. So I, I loved his interaction with the characters and the head tilts again, when Finn's like, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, BB eight, uh, Poe's dead. And the little head comes down, you know, or when he sees Finn, you know, I'm not really with the resistance. He backs away. Yeah. You know, just those. Movements, yeah. That, that was awesome. Those, those little things were just perfect. And of course the thumbs up too. That was, that was yeah, the thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that scene too because BB-8 does the whole thing where he's like tell him where tell her where the base is and he does the head thing like that, the look back and forth <laughs> right yeah he can't decide it's back yeah. and forth it's just awesome um and I I BB-8 is next to R2D2 I think hands down the best droid out there it, it, it just the way that that it comes off as a fully realized character and one that is the hero, you know, the BB-8 is so much like R2 in that he is a hero droid. You know, he is always looking to be helpful. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, whereas if you watch Rebels, Chopper kind of comes off as a yeah, Chopper's D-word. a jerk. <laughs> yeah, um, and I I also love the the vocalization of BB-8. Uh, a Chopper uh, to me again, I I like him. But there are too many times that he comes off as just a muffled Kenny from South Park. And I mean, you can literally hear what he's saying, which is WTF. Uh, it's just, you know, um, and whereas BB-8 had the bells and the whistles, but in a different way than R2. So it sounded like his own language. But at the same time something that was familiar and I really, really appreciate that. I thought they did a fantastic job and uh, you know, I do have to give it to when it comes to the idea of the practical BB eight is probably the best working practical effect. The best thing that they did for this film was to have BB eight be a real thing. Yep. Uh, the, uh, pretty much anything else in this film, um, it could not have been a practical effect. I would have been fine with, I mean, there were some actual practical effects. I was like, I know that's a practical effect, and it's really bad. I know how hard you guys tried, but it doesn't look good. Uh, you should have just put a CGI creature in there, and I, I, I wouldn't have known the difference. It would have actually looked more realistic. So, um, But BB-8, on the other hand, is perfect. I mean, he is literally perfect because he is there, and he looks and acts and feels like an actual droid. 
um, and the the cables that he has coming out, you know, to catch himself or to get himself out of the. He Falcons. goes down the stairs. Yeah, he goes to. I mean, that's awesome. impressive. That is very, very <laughs> impressive. Well, cables, yeah. that's the one thing I was wondering about. Most is impressive. that a practical effect or was that CG? No, that's that's obviously that's CGI. Gotta be there's CGI. there's no way they could do that practically. But what what I did read on him is that they obviously had several BB8s, the full on practical they used as much as much as they could, but there were some that like didn't roll and were like fine tuned puppetry. So that you'd have cables and stuff coming from him to just get that really tiny granular motion that sells those, you know, probably like peeking around peeking around things, but but I think they definitely kept the CG to a minimum. I think only when he's rolling around the Falcon, like upside down or anything that it's like you couldn't guarantee was going to happen the exact same way every take or something like that. But all I've got to say is that the BB-8 Sphero droid is on my Christmas list. So anybody who wants to get that for me, just let me know. I'll send you my address. So. Well, I spent all my money uh, getting a uh, Poe Dameron fin jacket. So oh, sorry. That's right. Can't I help you out that. there. Okay, I wanted to talk about this character because I was so surprised. And again, in a film that was touting real sets, practical effects, I think hands down probably one of the very best new characters they created was a CG character, and it's Maz Kanata. And I was so surprised on how well she works and how much I liked the CG and how I honestly had a hard time telling she wasn't there. I know she's CG, but she to me, she looked so good, it felt like she was on screen with everybody else. What did you guys think? Yeah, I felt that she, you know, she she filled the scene and they again, they just cre- they created this new character and you're at this point, you know, to get a new character this far into the movie, you're like, "Who the heck is this? What's going on? What Okay, it's kind of like the Cantina Castle. That's cool." You know, and she's the bartender and he's norm and everyone knows his name and it's not a good thing. Yeah. But, she's like the Ruby. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah. yeah, exactly. She's Ruby, but yeah, you're right there. I mean, I can only think of one shot where in the second viewing, I kind of felt like, okay, that's the person moving their hand and they put her hand into his, but, but besides that, yeah, you forget that she's not there. She's, she's on their eye level. She's talking with them, you know, and maybe it's just the way they did the effect with her, her face. It, it almost felt like adding little bits of CG to a mask. Like it, it's, it's so real, but then obviously there's, I mean, you know, okay, well it's not real. It can't be at least with the way our technology is today, but it just toes that line enough where, yeah, I completely forgot that they're acting to nothing in this moment. And she's not there because it's because Lapita's her presence was performance. So strong. It's those little dots that she had on there. Yeah. Again, all those facial expressions, and she knew exactly how to give the expressions and work the eyes and and do the voice. And I think all the combination of that animation and her performance just made it so believable and spot on. Yeah, I I, I think she's definitely uh, the most successful um, side character, definitely CG character in this film or that I've seen in a while, like because she is so believable. And I do, I agree that it is the actress's performance of that character is just insanely good. And you, I, I think you can't understate the uh, importance of the voice 
that she gave to the character. That vocal performance was insanely perfect. It wasn't, it didn't feel imitative of anything else. It didn't, it felt like that character existed because, like, audially, it can really throw things off if you have a CG character and the voice isn't quite right or, or synced up or something like that. The fact that she found that voice is so key, I think, to, and it, just the cadence, the, the way that she delivers the lines, the way that the character sounds like she is a thousand-year-old, but not in like a Yoda sort of way. Like just somebody who, like just like a uh, an adorable grandma, basically. She's young at heart. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's a thousand. Hell, I want to look that good when I'm a thousand. Good lord, she looks good for a thousand years old. Yes, like, better. It's incredible. Okay, so let's put it to a vote. Does she look better at a thousand than Yoda did at nine hundred? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, the, yes. it's that last you know twenty years that really aged Yoda. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Lapita just nails the voice and everything flows from that. And the way that she delivers the lines, she is so invested in this character. She is so invested in what she's saying. Um, I personally think one of the best jokes in the film is when she's like, where's my boyfriend? And yes. she, and you know, Han's like, Chewie's working on the Falcon and she's like, I like that Wookiee. Yes. And it's like, it's this really funny kind of sexual undertone for these characters. You're not expecting in the way she says it. Like, I like that Wookiee. It's, it's awesome. I, everything about this character to me is a win. I think, John, she is probably the best CG character that I've seen that's important to the film as like a golem or smaug was in the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings, where it's just so successfully done and it eats up the scenery so that when it's acting with another human being, you feel as though it's there regardless of is it not. Um, sure. And it's because of the performance of the people behind the character. And um, that'll be interesting when we talk about Snoke, but that's a different story. Maz is fantastic and I cannot wait to find out more about that character. I want to know more about her. I, I want her in the next film and I want, I want a whole book about her character. You know, I want to know how she got the lightsaber, what her connection to the force is. You know, I've, I've heard rumors from like people in the, in, on the film that she knew Yoda and that kind of stuff like that would just be an amazing storyline to, to see how she's been a part of this galaxy for a thousand years she's been running this watering hole um, how many times have somebody like Yoda or Obi-Wan or you know all these characters gone through a place like that so just so well done so I felt um, bad for her when oh, her castle was destroyed I thought it stood for a thousand yes. years and it's gone yeah Oh, uh, she'll rebuild. I'm sure she's rebuilt it more than once in a total, years. total jerk move of the first order. I mean, she's been through the Sith, through the Empire, you know, and now the Yeah, first and they order. left her alone. Come on, man. Yeah, well, one of the yeah, Easter eggs is move. if you look as you're walking up to her castle and the flags on the far left, there's actually a uh, 501st Legion flag. 
uh, that was tucked in there. Uh, it was a nice little yeah. nod. And dead center is the Mandalorian. You got flag. the Mandalorian yep. flag, and that's there's, right. There's a lot of flags. Flags there's are some, important. There's so. some pod racer flags there too. There are there? some pod racer yeah. flags in there. There's a lot of great flags in there. I think there's even a Hondo flag if you freeze frame it at the right place. Oh there's man, a flag that for would Hondo. make me so happy. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine if Hondo and Maz had a thing for a while? Wouldn't that be? Can you oh, see? I can oh, see no, I, Hondo yeah. and Maz. Oh, easily. you know that's true. Yeah. She could end up in Rebels, so we could see that. Oh, oh my that God, that would be great, giant. Bruce. Oh man. Oh, brilliant! I love Bruce. Bruce Solo. Okay, <laughs> this is the character that I've been waiting to talk about since I think this movie was announced and uh, we saw who these characters were going to be. Ray. This is the character immediately. I don't know why I latched on to. Maybe it's because I had the premonition, the you know, with the casting and everything, that this was going to be the film series where we had the female lead and that she would be the Force-sensitive because it made sense. And I believe that the whole time. I'm glad that I was proven true with that. But Daisy Ridley is phenomenal and i don't know how to say it enough she just she's so ridiculously and utterly fantastic in this film i agree i daisy ridley's uh positively uh, owns the character i mean i haven't seen her in anything else so there's no like i'm not comparing notes against anything um but she is uh, she's great. Like it it makes sense, you know, in a sense, it, because there are certain things in throughout the, the script that feel very much like Lucas's uh, original story treatments for Star Wars back when he started writing it all the way back in the 70s. And one of those things was Luke was female at one point. So she does, in fact, come across as sort of that, uh, you know, like a. a not to diminish the character in any way, but she fills that female Luke role. Like, you know, the the orphan who is a dreamer and wants to do something bigger and better with her life. And where I give real credit to the character is that uh, it's both direction, but also Ridley herself not overselling that point, um, not being overly dramatic about it. There's There's a very understated... Um, tone to her performance that makes it work very, very well, uh, where you sort of get a sense of her as suffering with quiet dignity as opposed to being this big dreamer. Like she's, in a sense, accepted what has happened in her life while still dreaming. And I think that that is a very relatable uh, sort of thing. Much, you know, like Luke is relatable because he's, you know, the the kid who wants to get out and make his mark on the world. And she's not about going out and, you know, becoming the great hero of the galaxy. She's just thinking I, here I am in this life that is not fulfilling me and I'm going to keep doing it, but um, you can't take my dreams away from me. And I'm always, you know, like there, there's just a, a dignity to her character. And I, I attribute a lot of that to, uh, to Daisy Ridley's performance. And, she definitely gets uh, what I call the Star Wars moment because in that final battle um, when she calls the saber to her hand, like that is the moment that that when it finally kicked in for me, like that was 
that was the big moment and she really owns that moment and yeah you know i like like you said matt like you can't you can't overstate it like she is just fantastic i i was just gonna say i have nothing to add to that that was perfectly said <laughs> oh well all right i'll see y'all later I'm out. <laughs> the the scene that i love her in so much is what i like to call ray's qui-gon moment where she has been battling kylo and she is pushed up against the ledge that is just formed because the planet is falling apart we'll talk about the next ledge later but um she remembers the force when he says you need a teacher and she has that moment kind of like qui-gon does in the phantom menace where she meditates, she closes her eyes, and she's drawing on the force that it gives her the power that she has inside of her, and she just then unleashes hell on Kylo. And that moment, it was just, this girl is incredible, you know? Um, and, and on top of that, I feel like what she is, like you said, John, she is so much that, that proto-Skywalker that Lucas had created in the first drafts where he it was a girl and she's so much combination of Luke and Anakin together you know she's good with mechanics she's a great pilot she has natural force ability she's you know all of these she's kind of seems almost like a slave you know so she's got all of these pieces of both of the Skywalkers and yet she has this overflowing goodness in her. You know, this this already, this innate sense of right and wrong and doing the right thing, even when it's not expedient or best for her. And I freaking love this character. And I've seen a lot of articles online, which I don't understand, saying that she's like the big feminist character of Star Wars. But I don't understand. Have you not seen Star Wars? Do you not remember Leia? Have you not seen the Clone Wars with Ahsoka? Like, she is the spiritual successor of, of not just Leia, but somebody like Ahsoka, who really was a character that was very much her own character, who was a she-could-take-care-of-herself kind of girl. I, like, I don't understand why people make these statements and have not watched... It's not like they haven't watched Star Wars. Star Wars has always been full of, I think, really strong, confident women that can do incredibly amazing things. I don't know. But 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 just... see, the thing is that, and th this this ties into what my wife uh, said to me, uh, you know, about my perspective on things. The majority of the audience going to see this movie has no familiarity with Ahsoka. They really don't like we, we have to remember that the lens we're looking through is as fans who have, you know, watched the entire property. There are a lot of people who went to this movie who have no idea even who Ahsoka is. Maybe they'll go back and they'll they'll re, you know, they'll learn who she is and that sort of thing. But like, you know, I, like I understand why people are reacting that way to Ray in the sense that she is like it, it's it's um you know it it is a a, a female character who is very dominant and very strong character 
And while I agree with you that there have been strong female characters in Star Wars previously, um, this is a new experience for a lot of the audience. And I, I, I think you can't, you can't discount that. You have, to, you have to allow for that. And then, you know, this is the great opportunity to bring those, ha- you know, the, those casual fans in and be like, well, you know, maybe you can learn who Ahsoka is now and sort of guide them over. I think that'd be a great. Well, and I love you know, like you. You're right, John. You know, my niece um, is learning Star Wars, and she's watched some Clone Wars and everything. But Ray is already her favorite character, you know. So it is great, and I hope that it will drive people back to the other female characters, especially I think that have amazing character arcs, specifically through the Clone Wars. Asajj Ventress and, you know, uh, Ahsoka Tano are incredible female characters with amazing arcs. And, you know, if we want to talk about strong female characters in Star Wars, we would be remiss to miss those. You know, they're built on the shoulders of Leia, but uh, they uh, bring it to the next level, and I think Ray's just bringing it to that next level, and it's great. I, I love her character, and I'm so glad that she turned out to be, honestly, more than I hoped she would be. Like, she's everything I wanted and more. Yeah, I really liked how they used her in establishing a lot of the world. So in the beginning, as you yeah. see her you know, exploring the, the wrecked Star Destroyers, which is just awesome, just seeing, I mean, they're flying around not only Star Destroyers, but Super Star Destroyers, all this record. She lives in a freaking AT-AT. I want to live in an AT-AT. But, yeah, they just, they took their time. It you know, doesn't showed, have a shower, though. So, <laughs> they, you know, they, uh, they, they showed her, you know, just in her life, you know, obviously counting the days survivor style. Uh, but, you know, it, it really helped set the tone and the pace, I think, a lot for the movie. And then she, while we were talking about how John, not you, but the the character John, had to <laughs> had to toe that line with comedy, I feel she towed the line very well with being a strong character. But also, in this movie, we're seeing a lot of characters that are transitioning, that are not their final form yet. And so when she's getting force powers and, and I mean, she's already shown that she's very competent and she's got her staff fight and, you know, she's survived on, on Jakku, but you know, it, it's hard to see someone take those jumps where I'm now uh, using the Jedi mind trick, which I maybe never heard of, but I just naturally kind of know how to do this. Like that's hard to again, toe that line of plausibility and, Again, just Daisy is the, is the perfect cast for this. She does such a good job with the character. And uh, where's her action figure? I need it in my collection. But yeah, oh, you know what? I I, I have to I have to give a shout out to to uh, Maz's boyfriend here uh, because behind me is a a Black Series Ray action figure. Oh, there you go. That was an early uh, Christmas gift. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. That. You're very welcome. It's so deserved. Uh, you know, I had to say, though, if you can, you know, uh, Jedi mind trick James Bond dressed as a stormtrooper, then, geez, uh, I mean, I feel like you can do anything. Uh, and if you didn't catch <laughs> exactly. that in the film, that is Daniel Craig in that scene dressed as a and, stormtrooper. And how exactly beautiful is it that a woman mind trick James <laughs> Bond? That's like, right. <clears throat> maybe that's the whole feminist angle that we need time. to see right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay 
We're about to get to the old folks' home, uh, carry the old folks' home here through uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and uh, let's talk some old people being back. Uh, Han, I mean, obviously, this is Han's movie in the sense that, you know, he is going to meet his maker, or actually his son, who's going to let him meet his maker. Uh, so what did you end up thinking about having old Han back and... and does it work for you? Did did Harrison Ford sell it well enough to make this be, you know, a good end to the character that we'd known for three movies and uh, to have this be his, you know, swan song? Well, don't forget the holiday special. I mean, that's three movies I, I, and a holiday I, special. Know, yeah. Yes, that. How could one forget? <laughs> Which I just watched. How could one forget? Um, Last week. Why? 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 Why would you do that? With thrift we, tracks, right? Because that's the only way I can get through. We it. went yeah. to a life yeah. day party, yes. and my youngest daughter requested uh, just, it, and they p- played it. I can't even. I you're a and bad she father. criticized it through the whole <laughs> that's, thing. That's, she critiqued the whole thing. Oh well, okay. Now you're a good father. Yes. Okay, no, no, all right. But, it all balances but how out. Can, how can Harrison Ford not sell Han? I mean, we're talking Harrison Ford here. I mean, yeah. the guy's just incredible. He's great, and it was like, it was having Han back. An older Han, but it was still a Han Solo. And, I mean, I I enjoyed seeing it. I like the fact that he didn't have the Millennium Falcon, and then he got it back. It's like he got his old toy back. The old guy can get his his you know piece of junk back and fly that around again, and he's got Chewbacca by his side. Um, it was just... It was just... Except some moof milker put the pressure on the ignition, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah that, those are, t- you know, trying to... D- hey, who's who's messed with this? Who's changed things in my <laughs> my my ride here? Come on. Right, yeah, he, he can walk in and instantly know that something's wrong. Right. Yeah, that, that is a beautiful moment. Yeah, but it, it was... it Yeah, he was incredible, and sorry to see he, we won't see him back again in that role, but it was worth it. But, no, I definitely feel... I mean, having Han Solo play such a major role. I mean, they they had him in the movie and they used him. And they used him really well. They had him do stuff. He was leading characters together. He hey, was look, integral. Look, it's Han he and he's doing stuff. Yeah, he wasn't just, oh, we're going to cameo him in and he'll be in the background. No, he he he's like, yeah, he's the most main of the original trilogy characters that we see. With the most screen well, time, he's and the, the most... Obi Wan in this film. I mean, he's the old and wise guy. Well, and even yeah, Obi Wan was barely die. in his movie, right? Yeah, you know, it. Uh, I think that for okay, for for me, it's it's very much separating, um, like certain things about the script and Ford's performance. And I do think I agree with you guys. Ford's performance sells it. Um, like he. The moment he really sold it for me, I was like, okay, okay, like, you know, here's Han, here's Han. But even in the first showing, what really I loved was when the second uh, when the second group of mercenaries, bounty hunters, whatever, showed up. And he, he looks around, and I can't, I, I'll butcher the guy's name but or whatever, but he's just like, good to see you. Like, it's it's this moment that is very... Tasu hot. Leech. Yeah. Good, good to, to see, see you. you. Like that is a very, that's a really well played moment, and that's really sort of the, that's Harrison Ford's charm, uniting me to that character again. See, I always um, talk my way out, always. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and that was 
uh, oh, I wish they hadn't had that throwaway and don't say the Death Star scene with Leia later because that was that took me out of that moment. But anyway, like that scene where you know, I, like I'll draw an analogy to um, there was a Rebels episode this season with Hondo, and a lot of people considered that a cheap callback to the Clone Wars. And the reason it worked for me was if you took in the Rebels episode, if you took Hondo out and you put a different character in, the story still works. But adding Hondo to it tweaks it and ties it together with what has come before. And I feel that Han is successful in this context because when I saw it like the third time, I said, can I take Han out of this with the exception of his big you know, death scene naturally? But can I overall take Han out of this story and put a different character in and that and that character would still work to forward the plot. Like, it, you know, like, is it is it a case of the role that he fills is necessary and vital, and I don't feel that he's just tacked on, and I think that, yes, Han works in in this film. I, I didn't care for the way that he dies. Um, I felt it was a bit uh, Kirk in Generations, and would have liked to see him survive to the next film to give his death even more weight, as it were. But even that's something that I'm coming around to because once I did, uh, Matthew, you said, you know, he's the Obi-Wan character. Once I started viewing him through that lens and said, okay, this is this is the Obi-Wan character, you know, then he starts working even better. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? There's actually a tradition in Star Wars of the old sage character taking somebody under their wing in this case it's ray and then getting killed at the end okay all right that's star wars that works for me i mean his moment when he's describing the map and he's that's his old sage moment where he's like it's all yeah i can't gravel my voice quite like that but he's like it's all true you know it's the jedi the and and when we saw that in the trailer we we were all like oh my gosh this is gonna be yeah great and you know he they're the construction of the the death scene is is very past the torch. I mean, from the sure. lighting to where the characters were, but yeah, I think yeah, just Harrison Ford played it really well and was a very strong character. Uh, that I, yeah, I didn't feel like oh we kept Han in because it's got to feel Star Warsy. It's like no, it felt Star Warsy right. all already. It's just it was nice having this character that we know. Um, but even even though we know him, though, we haven't seen him for 30 years. So right. we're kind of also getting reintroduced to him at the same time. Sure. Sure. I, I You know, I think that uh, with with Ford's performance, the nicest bit of uh, stage business that he had was when he does get killed. The last thing he does is he, you know, caresses his son's face. And it's like I thought that was a very nice moment of sort of the you know the parent that that's very much you know indicative of a parent's love it's like you know even though you've done this to me you're still my son and I still love you and I think that that tied a lot of things together with because it's you know it's always been about sort of like the father role in the uh in the Star Wars films and you know the role of either the absentee or the bad father and what that has led you know uh, a, a character to do and I, I just I, I just that moment where he touches uh, Kylo Ren's face before he 
you know, falls over the side. I think it's just a really, it was a really nice choice on Harrison Ford's part. And did you catch, like, right when he's about to fall off, did you hear Ford say, finally? Did you hear that? (laughs) Been asking for this since 1979. Yeah. Why are there no rails on this catwalk? (laughs) (laughs) There are rails up until, what, 10 feet? Yeah. Yeah. It's like there are rails around around the pit, but across the pit... Nah, who would be stupid enough to go across the pit? Yeah, why have it only when you start to get on, not through the whole thing? I'm just glad that they lit it, uh, you know, very well. On the bottom, so you knew how depthless that was, like how far down it goes. Yeah. Like, he ain't coming back. He's dead. Oh, no. Well, you know what? In the fine tradition of... No, in the fine... Hey, he came back. Uh, yeah, good call out, Bruce. But no, just like th- there were fans after episode three that were like, well, you never saw Mace Windu's body. He might still be alive. I'm like, he fell out a skyscraper after getting elected. He's done. There's no more of him. Yeah. Fans the rest will hold of on it is on 13-13, okay? It's pretty far down. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I really... Harrison Ford comes in and he plays the role with a vitality that I haven't seen him play in a very long time which is great uh, apparently he didn't bring in his special stuff over to uh, you know England when he was filming he felt like he was fully there the whole time and and that was what we needed and you know I I'm with you John I I came to see him and understand you know, he is the Qui Gon he is the Obi Wan of this film and that's why him dying if you're doing the if there's one knock against this film is that there's an absolutely absolutely nothing original in it everything is a rehash from some other film and and maybe with a twist maybe not. But it's it's pretty much we're uh, you know beat for beat Star Wars, um, the original film, um, with a little bit of Empire Strikes Back and a few nods to Return of the Jedi, but it's 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 a rehash. Um, but what they do with Ford is they get somebody who has the charisma to carry it. And along with the new characters, because he plays so well with Daisy Ridley and he plays so well with John Boyega, they they sometimes make me forget that this is a rehash. And that's incredible. Because the yeah. more times I see this movie, honestly, the more times I'm reminded, I, I can see all the connections and just how much this is Star Wars. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes it isn't. But it's the performances that keep me from lingering on that too long. That's what they needed, and that's what they got. Um, I just want to ask quickly: Did Ford's death mean anything to you? It, did did Han's death really affect you? Because to me, I'm not affected by Han's death, and maybe that's because of all of the meta knowledge I have about Han. Yes. Ford wanting to die for yes. so long. I, I'm not surprised by it, and I didn't cry over it. I have no feelings over it. Eh, Han's dead. Whatever. No, that's I, I, sadly how I feel. I, I, de- I definitely think that uh, he'll, you know, what you said, the meta knowledge, like knowing that Harrison Ford has been complaining for the character's death for you know decades, um, 
and the fact that he didn't even like that he was brought back for Return of the Jedi, like as like the moment I heard that Han that Harrison Ford was cast as Han in this movie, I looked over at somebody and I said Han Solo is going to die in this movie. So like there was absolutely no suspense. It was just sort of like one of those things where I had in my brain I was like, no, he's not going to die in this scene. No, he's not going to die in this scene. No, he's like, oh, here we go. Yep, catwalk. He's done. Like that was, and the, that's the unfortunate thing is I, I do think that again that speaks to there's a certain amount of knowledge you bring in, and so I think that it resonates with casual fans in a way that it doesn't necessarily resonate with us. Now, again, like it, it's the multiple viewings thing. It worked better uh, by by the third time. Because, again, I, I've been able to sort of, like, work past a lot of things. Um, but I, I think where where it's really clunky is the music. Because what gave Ben's death such, like, such an emotional punch in the gut in the original Star Wars was that music cue. And with Qui-Gon, you sort of figured he was going to die, especially if you saw the soundtrack beforehand. Um and Curse you soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Noble end. What does that mean? Yes, right. Jeez. But like, you know, like there's sort of like like you know Qui Gon's not in, you know, the original film, so you're kind of like hey, he's probably gonna die in this one, I guess. the The choice of it being Han. Yeah, I just I do think that that works against it, and I do think the mu- I mean the music cue is good, but it's not that transcendent moment. Like even Qui Gon's death got a like one of the strongest cues in the entire film like thrown at it and the cue isn't as strong uh, you know and i i think that the 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 music for all of these movies has always served as such an emotional linchpin that i think that that's sort of another thing that that works against it a little bit now I, again it worked better on subsequent viewings for me um but uh yeah, I, I'm going to kind of blame the music. Yeah, I wasn't emotional the first time I saw it. And it was for the same reasons you were saying. I was like, okay. And I made a joke about uh, Harrison Ford falling off the bridge saying, finally. But that's in a lot of ways what I was thinking. It's like, oh, that's yeah. what he's been wanting. And now he got it. But the second time I saw it, I was more emotional. But I was also more invested, I think, in him as a character by that point and also into Kylo Ren. And so that, I think, impacted me more the second time around and seeing his death uh, occur at that moment. Um, But I also, the the first time seeing it, I I mean, I knew a lot of the spoilers going in and uh, I was pretty sure he was going to die. But they did play it off pretty well to the point that I started to doubt it the way that Kylo's handing over his lightsaber to Han. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they actually, he's, he's going to live through this scene and, and maybe even bring his son over with him. And he, and he saved him. That is going to be awesome. And then it surprised me when that lightsaber actually did go through Han and kill him. I was like, Oh, well, yeah, there goes that, I guess. So, but it, uh, the music point I hadn't thought about the next time I watch it. Yeah. I want to pay attention to the music of, on that scene. The moment that Kylo said, I know what I have to do, but I don't have the strength to do it. I was like, oh, he's a goner. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, when there's the visual cue of the delight. With the pain. Yeah, it's like, well, the yeah. pain is the tiny bit of light side inside you, and that's what exactly. you want to get rid of. That's and when then the light box. of the sun leaves, 
and you know <laughs> there is no more light in Kylo Come Ren. Share your it's pain. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no Cybok here to help him out. So, well, when we saw it the first time, my my wife and her sisters were definitely emotional. I think just because that was one of their you know favorite characters you know growing up. But for me, uh, I just watched it the second time today, and there were two spots where I kind of got a little misty. One was the last time Han and Leia spoke, and I don't know why it just it. I was yeah. paying more attention no, I, to I what they were you. saying. And, and it's just like, wow, like this is the last time they're going to see each other. And I mean, they both know they're on a dangerous, they live dangerous lives. You know, you never know. And, but it's kind of her asking him to go to, to, to bring her, their son back. And I, I also love how they never say his name until that moment he calls off on the catwalk. Like I didn't, I didn't pick up on that yeah. before, but that's the best reveal of and it. And all I could think of was, hey, Legacy of the Force, and uh, their son goes yeah, bad. Yes, so that's what I thought, and too. <laughs> all I could think was, is this is pulled straight from the EU. And fortunately, I had stopped reading the EU by that point, and <laughs> nobody else in the audience who isn't a hardcore fan even knew what you were talking about. So, But yes, but that was a, an emotional moment, just knowing that, uh, you know, that they're not going to be together again. And even though we don't really know what's been going on as much in the last 30 years, but, you know, he's still the scoundrel and she's still the princess. You know, it's they're They are the, the first love story of Star Wars. To me, she's royalty. Um, yeah, I think that leads us to Chewie and Leia being back. And what did you think about uh, both of them? being here in the film and, and what they were given to do. Thank goodness Carrie didn't ruin the film. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I was so nervous. I didn't know what we were going to get with her. I, she, but I, she looked older than what I expected. Uh, and, I, and there are some ways I, I'm so glad that she probably doesn't listen to this, but I, I almost wondered if they kind of CG'd her face a little too. Uh, I think the scene where Han holds her the third time I saw it, um, it was digital and there were some Professor Xavier at the end of Wolverine mm. X-Men Origins that kind of showed through. Um, and the thing is, that's not, we're, again, we're not knocking anybody for getting older, but it just, it looks like they did a little bit of work there in post uh, for, for whatever reason. I have to say, you know, I'm with you, Bruce. I think if the, anybody that coming back, you know, Carrie has had a a tough life, and I think she would be the first to tell you that. She's written plenty about it, and she makes a lot of jokes about it. But she's, you know, whenever you see her, and God, we've seen her in enough interviews, she's a loose cannon. I had no idea how they were going to rein her in, but I think she's right back in it. She is Leia. And when she's playing against, you know, Harrison Ford as Han, they still have the same chemistry and it still works. And I think everything that she was given to do, she pulled off 95% of the time. I, I actually think that the best moment that she had in the entire film was uh, when Ray uh, is standing alone crying at the, you know, I, I don't know if she was crying or not, but she's standing alone. Everybody's celebrating because Starkill, blah, 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 blah. And it's her and the way she plays it non-verbally 
where she looks at Ray and they're the only two that are feeling that pain while everybody else is celebrating. And she goes over and she hugs her. Like, Why doesn't Chewie was... hug her? Come on. <laughs> well, Chewie just already. lost his best friend yeah. ever. Ever. But well, there is so you know... much good nonverbal in this movie. So yeah. much where it was just like, oh my gosh, they haven't been talking in this entire scene, yet we know exactly what's going on. They didn't have to shove in words yeah. and, and, and junk. And I liked how, I mean, it's awesome that Carrie Fisher's daughter got to be in the movie as a resistance technician. But uh, yeah, I agree with you guys that she carried pretty much almost all of it, uh, you know, fairly well. I mean, considering she probably had, you know, just slightly under chewy type of screen time. So she, yeah. she was on screen a lot. Uh, and with that wonderful CG ramp flip down, uh, she walked in to the, the first scene, <laughs> but, uh, but that's either here or there, but yes. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie. That ship design is terrible. It's like, like they bolted a cargo container onto a B wing, which I'm pretty sure is awful. what they did. B wings were awful, hella cooler awful. than that. Uh, awful um okay uh coda luke because really all he is is a coda he is the MacGuffin of this film um the one scene he's in i have to say it did do you guys get the sense he is at a graveside there because no. the the fourth time i've seen it it looks like there is a gravestone there no i didn't i didn't get that yeah me either okay no i, I no, okay. I, that Just wondering, come across to me because I'm pretty sure that's his daughter, and the reason he doesn't say anything is because his first words about his mouth are, "I am your father." Yeah. Anyway, what uh, did you think of Luke, uh, yeah. and and the fact that they kept him? Did it work for you? Um, and does it make you excited to see you know Luke in in the episode? Yes, eight? yes, yes, and yes. Luke awesome. looked yeah. awesome. He looked better than I thought he was going to. He looked, he radiated. He radiated that white BG's hair that he has going there. <laughs> the, or Anakin long hair, but all white. I mean, he looked fabulous. And I'm so excited to see what he's going to do. And I'm glad he didn't say a word. Every Star Wars movie ends without any dialogue in those last few moments. And it was great that he didn't say anything and you're just waiting for it, but it doesn't come. And I so want to see him in the next movie. And Mark Hamill's looking great. He's looking fit. He is ready to pull this off in episode eight. And I'm more excited about that than anything right now. Well, I mean, you talk about nonverbal communication, the pain you can see in Luke's eyes. Like when she shows up, there's so much in that. And Mark Hamill, like everybody forgets this because they spent so long bashing the prequels. Like Mark Hamill used to be torn apart for his performance uh, in the original trilogy, but especially Jedi. But he really shines again here uh, with just that look. Uh, so much so that I wind up disliking the final shot of the film because the I around. want it. Yes, yes. That, yes. that helicopter oh, shot gosh, stinks. It's and awful. I wanted it to end with Luke looking out to the audience because it's Luke looking back out to us saying, I, it's time to get started again. And then it, it irises out and boom, directed by like, that would have been the perfect ending because yeah, even though Hamill's only in it for a very brief time, 
He communicates so much with that look. And yeah, I, I like I'm with you, Bruce. Like I want to see him again in in episode eight. I I'm dying to see Luke Skywalker back in action. But I definitely see why he wasn't in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or the poster. I was gonna say. Yeah. The, not the but trailer, I want that poster. action figure. Yeah. They haven't released that action figure yet, oh, have they? No, no. I think no, I don't think we're gonna get wave two until maybe another something into January. That's a rip off man i want that action figure bad i think what was so great and i'm watching it the fourth time and obviously i'm in the opinion that ray is his daughter somehow and the way that he's looking at her not only is it there's this i mean he's got tears in his eyes they haven't welled over yet but there are tears in his eyes she's holding out this lightsaber to him that used to be his and it was before it was his father's Everything we've learned about Ray, you know, this lightsaber is calling to her. It's a, such a powerful moment. And then, like you said, John, they ruin it with that stupid pan around shot that just completely brings you out of the moment. And you're like, okay, now it's just ridiculous because they've been yeah. standing there too long without saying anything. Um, but if they had just irised out on his face, it's it's perfection. You know, that's where the movie needs to end. So that he doesn't have the opportunity to say anything. You don't it. You feel like the movie episode eight just picks up right yeah. there in that, that scene. That, that next it, first it shot has, of episode it needs eight needs to, to be yes. 20 seconds after the last shot of. Exactly. Right. Um, so I, I love that. Now, I do have a question for you that really kind of bothered me. Luke and Han apparently have both abandoned things when the road gets tough. And it it really bothered me, especially this, seeing it a few times now. The storyline that Han tells about Luke, you know, he starts to rebuild the Jedi Order. Ben turns against him and destroys all that he's worked for. And Luke just leaves and goes to look for the first Jedi Temple. And it bothered me that Luke and Han, two men that we're supposed to look up to, kind of turn into delinquents and just... Would you say that about Yoda? Abandon everything when the road too. gets tough. No, 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 no. Obi-Wan and, 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 and Yoda have a very clear, uh, especially Obi-Wan, he has a very clear mission uh, is to watch over and make sure that Luke grows up and is okay and... Yoda is patiently awaiting for the next Jedi to come to him when and they're ready. So they have a they have a mission, but Luke just walks away and it even says in the crawl, out of the ashes of the Empire, the first order rises, and that's because Luke disappeared. But he's not all running because away. of Luke. I mean, there's no come on, Luke. All the younglings are dead. There's no right. There's it, it's not like and then the second class he just shoved onto an asteroid and disappeared. It's like no, they're they're all gone. He he's realized I I'm still a learner. I am not strong enough to 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 be the teacher yet. I need to go to the first temple. I need to you know commune with the Force more. Whatever his plan is, but you know putting himself in seclusion uh obviously the first order is still afraid of him but the first order yeah. comes about because he leaves it's very clear in the, That's gonna happen. in the crawl though that ha uh, that luke leaves and the first order rises from the ashes and yeah they're afraid of him but i feel like luke could have been such a help to the resistance 
if he had been there, and the First Order might not have been such a problem if Luke hadn't abandoned them. But see, I think that uh, there's a real... The, the theory sort of hinges on, is Ray actually his daughter? We all... I, like I, I think if you pulled all four of us, we're all like, "Yeah, raise a sky a Skywalker, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we we got at least a fifty percent buy in on that one, right? It's not necessarily I mean, not a story, solo, but, right? But the but the the thing is this is that like I I sort of like before the movie I kind of figured out uh, that Luke had gone into hiding. I didn't think he was not going to be in it until the final shot. But I figured he had pulled sort of a Kevin Flynn from Tron Legacy, where it was like, badness is happening, and when I'm around, bad things happen, I'm out. I'm just going to go somewhere else, and there you go. Like, I do agree with you that Luke and Han do, uh, like, Han, you know, th- there's there's sort of a mess that's created when they leave, when they, they abdicate their positions. Um and that's why things are messed up again. So I definitely think that there is there is an undertone to that. But again, Star Wars has always dealt with that idea of the importance of the parent, and especially the father, has been you know sort of like plumbed to great depths, um, in, in, like in the prequels and in the original. You know, Darth Vader is your father. You know that sort of thing. So I think that that sort of keeps with a. A, a Star Wars focus of the, you know, the, 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 the line of parenting, you know, is very important, but also I think Luke withdrawing, if he studied Jedi history half as closely as the rest of us have that have been watching his story, Yoda begat, uh, the leader of the separatists who begat, um, the trainer of Obi-Wan who trained the great scourge of the galaxy who fathered Luke and then Luke's star pupil winds up slaughtering all of his other students, uh, taking that from the text of the film. It's not a great track record. Yeah. Like if I were Luke, I'd be like, wow, Yoda screwed up. Obi-Wan screwed up. I screwed up. I'm out. I'm universe has got to work itself out here. I'm done. Is it irresponsible? Yeah. But at the same time, I could understand why Luke would be like, I did. I screwed up. I'm out. Like, I can understand that. Well, and, and I do hope that this is obviously something we get more in Episode 8. And that we will learn that maybe Luke was able to find that, you know, first temple and, and find a view of the Force that hasn't been taught. Maybe it's more Qui-Gon-ish, that living Force thing, you know. And um, I'm just hoping that there's a tie-in that helps it make sense so that... Uh, you know, I don't feel such kind of anger towards Luke when I see him because I feel like, you know, uh, Leia is so intent on finding Luke, but I feel like she should be really pissed at Luke instead of wanting to find him. You know, like, he didn't help her son the way she wanted, and then he just left, and he really didn't tell her where he was going. It's like... There should be more, I feel like there should be more nuance to what's going on than just like, I need to find my brother because he needs to make things right. Yeah, but the thing is, there is some nuance because Leia says, you know, maybe I shouldn't have sent our son off to train with Luke. Like she, she's willing to take some responsibility for the fact that she sent, you know, maybe, maybe Ben should have uh, stayed, spoiler, should have stayed with them. 
instead of going off to become a Jedi. Um, and maybe that that's the problem. And of course, they you know they they cite Snoke as having seduced him, and so there's a big question mark there of like was did Luke know Snoke was Snoke part of the Republic at some point was he always the Empire and he sort of negotiated this armistice that went wrong or you know like what's that all about so I I do think we'll find out more about Luke's motivations in episode eight okay I I, we have This is going to be forever of a show, and I'm not going to apologize for that because it's The Force Awakens. It's the last 602 Club. I want to move to the villains. And let's talk quickly about Phasma, the Boba Fett punk. Go. Eh, marketing killed it. I think the best thing I've heard about Phasma is that she should have been the one with the police riot baton fighting Finn. If she had had that scene coupled with the two or three other times we see her in the background, it would have completely 180 like the the current perspective on her right now. Cause it's just, she's barely in the film. I mean, she, and just whether, and it doesn't feel like it was due to like cutting room floor. Like it just didn't, it was overhyped. I feel, still think she's a great character and I really hope she'll be in the next one and we'll see more of her. Uh, if she survived, you know, the trash compactor, uh, but and the explosion. And the explosion, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, it's a hell of a thing to get out of the trash compactor while the planet's exploding. Kind of yeah, a tough one. Yeah, and turned into a sun. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so no, I mean, I, I hope we see her again, but it'd be sad if she was a, a one-off, uh, you know, killed in the first episode villain. I mean, how many times have we done that? But, yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, yeah, I can tell you, Kathy Kennedy said she's going to be back. So, yeah, she'll be back. Kathy Kennedy ruined that for everyone. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, Kathy well, Kennedy. But but the thing is, I think she was overhyped uh, because she was a she. I that, yeah. I think that's the long and the short of it right there. Because if Captain Phasma had been it, like another dude, you know, then just another dude back, in Stormtrooper armor, I don't think uh, that Phasma would have garnered as much press attention um, as she did. Um, yeah, like, I have a so, friend named you know, Ingrid, and she night and day barely finished her phasma armor for the premiere last uh last monday and she looked great in it and yeah it's a it's i mean it's another it's another female i mean we do hear another stormtrooper uh talk with a female voice yeah. i mean there are a couple other roles but uh I, I yeah i definitely agree with you it's if it had i i think i remember reading some things about when they were developing the character that they kind of had this moment where they're like oh what if it was a woman like like it wasn't initially; it was just a cool captain in armor, right? And so, it, it, when you don't really write the role with more to it than just a cool someone in armor, it's like, what, what is it going to become? But yet, they could have easily given her something to do. Made her, I mean, she gave orders well, but and never holstered her sidearm. That was something that I found very interesting. Always, even when on the bridge talking to uh, General Hux was holding her gun and it was like you know even the most dedicated soldier eventually puts their gun away eventually yeah and they had the cool holsters like the leg locks i mean I, i'd kill yeah for i'd kill for that i have a stupid canvas thing flapping around my butt what's with this 1977 
<laughs> she had she, there, she didn't have a whole lot to do but i did like the scenes that she had with finn telling him to put his helmet back on and then later when he's telling her you know i'm in charge now look who's in charge now you know just those little scenes were, were just dial it down, dial it down. down. <laughs> big 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 deal I, I mean i'm you know she's meh i hate that word but that's literally all i can say about the character so, uh, but the armor's on. cool, so I'll buy the figure. The armor yeah. is... I, I'm like not going to lie. The armor's cool. Although, I will say this. Yeah. As much as I love the new Stormtrooper armor, especially Phasma, it looks like constant duck face. Like, duck. I originally had it that at like the very beginning, mm-hmm. but I've, I've moved past face. that. It, it, I don't see it anymore. I did when it was okay. when you first saw yeah, the lead. It, but, it's, but. Not the, it's not the normal troopers. It's just Phasma. Oh, just Phasma. And maybe it's the way that Christy is moving her head, but it's so unnatural that it just... It's this weird was, to me. It's this like she's was a Lucasfilm's droid. way of honoring George and Howard the Duck and his creation of that. <laughs> no, that was, that was what that was there about. for. <laughs> And the TIE fighter pilots look like they're always smiling. <laughs> With Snoke, I want to I want to hear you guys take on this because it's an interesting. Uh, this is definitely where uh, John's name, Supreme Leader Golem, definitely comes in. This is Andy Serkis's character. I, I don't know. What do you? I mean, guys I've think? heard people say he's Plagueis. Uh, I've heard people say he's. I mean, he's just another big bad i thought he was like a, a giant for like half the film until they <laughs> they, they, they make show that it's a hologram you're like oh he's not actually giant i saw someone also saying they're like yeah i mean emperor never portrayed himself as a giant hologram I'm like what are you talking about like the first time we okay. see him yeah, he's like wrong. a room size his face image. is huge yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was like you obviously have not done your research sir so i thought maybe he was from mortis you know because the Mortis characters in ah. the Clone Wars were big, but oh yeah, I, I don't think they'll go that far because most people aren't no. familiar with Mortis. But yeah, I and he looks like Gollum's dad, so that was just kind of weird too. Yes, and that drove me nuts. That took me out of it because especially, and this is where the marketing campaign, like I, I tweaked them for a long time leading up to it, where they were like practical, practical, practical effects, practical, practical, practical effects, and then to have a you know like granted he's a secondary character but he's still a centerpiece secondary character basically just be Gollum and be very obviously CG and like they they had said I'd read you know in the lead up to it it's like oh well there's certain things with his his physiog you know with, with the way his body's constructed and his face constructed that we had to use CG and I'm like in the post Harvey Dent Dark Knight world no like they could have just enhanced Andy Circus's face easily and had it look yeah. a thousand times more real. Now they can skirt it and say, "Well, it's a hologram. That's why it didn't look so real." But he looked like no, he looked CG. Gollum. Yeah, he looked like Gollum and he sounded like Gollum and I just thought it was an unfortunate misstep because the first time I watched it, it yanked me right out of the movie. Well, and he, I, I agree with you guys. He has a long way to going to be menacing, truly, like an emperor type. Like, you know, the first time you see the emperor in Empire Strikes Back, you're like, this guy is freaky, crazy, and he's scarier somehow than Vader, and that's crazy. To me, Snoke feels kind of like a joke. You know, like, he's just the man behind the curtain, and Snoke's the man joke. ain't that scary behind the curtain. So, um, yeah. 
What about Hux? Um, what did you guys end up thinking about Hux? You know, being the 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 main. I'm basically. Let's put it this way: Hux is Tarkin, and Ren is Vader. So that's that. I mean, that's what we're getting. Our again. This is our rehash of Star Wars. What did Hux you guys is end young up thinking Tarkin, of the new Tarkin? Ren is young Vader. <laughs> yeah, right. there you and go. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Ray, Ren. Every time Ren has a temper tantrum, all I can think of is is this on the special stormtrooper line. Uh, we've got a we've got a Kylo Ren temper tantrum in detention. Do not go by there yeah. at any cost. Do not go by there at any cost. It's a code K. Please stand clear. Code <laughs> it's K. It's a code K. <laughs> yeah. Code K in detention. I really liked Hux. I like it is very obviously sort of like a in a way like sort of an over the top. But I think what I liked about Hux and his relationship with Ren was the fact that it did feel, again, like early Star Wars story draft of Vader and Tarkin and the way that they interacted. And also something that had been discarded from Return of the Jedi was that Jared was in competition with Vader for the attentions of the Emperor. And I feel that they took that, which is something I thought would have really... Um, enhanced Jedi which is not to knock it down because I love it but like something that would have enhanced Jedi would would have been Jared trying to usurp Vader and um, like there was very much that sense I thought that that Don Hall Gleason did a great job of playing this character I thought it was a compelling character I enjoyed his time on screen um, and you know I believed him as somebody that was not only not afraid of Ren, but was trying to prove to the new leader that he was better than Ren, to trust him to run everything. I thought that was I thought that was cool. I, there's nothing like being asked to play Hitler, basically. Um, you're space Hitler, so yeah. just just watch space Hitler. I mean, just watch videos of Hitler and then do that. You'll be great. Uh, everything you guys were just saying. I mean, I just, I, 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 he played it with an intensity. Uh, he did seem like Kylo kind of being a whiny baby, which I guess we'll talk about a little here, more here later. But he just, um, yeah, I, I liked, I liked him playing a Hitler type character. I loved him up there in front of all the troops and yelling, you know, basically, like, we need honor. We're going to take over. It's like, oh my gosh, it's almost you want to laugh at him. It's like his face is going to explode. He did take that part to like 110%, and I'm like, okay, back it down just just a, just a little, little Sold bit. Me. I, lo- I loved that speech. I thought I it was great. I like the speech. I just... But, it, but the thing is, if you've, ever, if you've ever seen Triumph of the Will, oh, that is exactly how the Nazis really were it, in, their, in their public speeches. I mean, it's so close on his face, and it reminded me of the the shot in Lord of the Rings where uh, where uh, oh gosh, the steward of Gondor. Why am I blanking? Um, Denethor. Yeah, Denethor, uh, yeah, it, Denethor. Like, looks over and sees the hordes, and he like starts to cry. Like It's so much and i'm just like okay okay take take it down a notch well i i I, you know i've seen videos online of hitler speaking and that is exactly how he is he's so involved in what he's saying it it looks like an insane person and that's exactly what he's doing Uh, well arguably hitler was well exactly i'm i'm not 
commenting on it, the insanity or not insanity of Hitler, but yes, he's I'm insane. just a little disappointed in so. the uniforms. They're a little bland compared yeah. well, to Well, you others. know, the First Order is smaller. They don't have as much money. But I wanted so. to make a cool costume. <laughs> uh, okay, this is, you know, Kylo Ren is the new bad. Uh, you know, he is the new Vader. Again, he's very much a copy of him. He's got all black. He's got the mask. He's got a helmet that's kind of like his grandfather's. Um, and he likes to throw temper tantrums just like his grandfather uh, and, you know, destroy things. Can you imagine being the technicians? Uh, yeah, we have a uh, issue K on level 25. Uh, we need some new monitors put in. Yeah, yeah. Kylo went crazy again. Um, what did you guys end up thinking about uh, Adam Driver and the character of Kylo Ren? Does, does he work for you? Yeah, he works for me. I really love this villain. And I don't even know if I want to call him a 100% villain because he's being pulled to the light side, yeah. which is very interesting. He's transitioning. We're, yeah, we're always about you know getting tempted to pull to the dark side. We've never heard anybody getting pulled to the light side. So that was really interesting. And I like the fact that they did not portray him as really another Vader in the fact that he is not a perfect villain and he does have these temper tantrums and he's struggling to figure out, I think who he is and he knows what he wants to do or who he wants to be, but he's not there yet. So this is a different villain, a different type of character we've had before. And my daughters pointed out to me they can't understand why he could be the son of Han and Leia because he looks nothing like them. <laughs> this yeah. is true. Uh, you know what? I got nothing to add to Bruce there. Uh, I love Kylo Ren. think he's a great character and everything Bruce said. Yeah, I think I like... I've heard him described as a as a transitioning villain as he's becoming the big bad and that's kind of nice to see that and i'm i'm really glad in those temperature tantrums that he didn't kill the officer like because that's what we were expecting we're like this guy's this guy's so dead he's you're telling bad news to kylo like a code k is coming right now like you got to watch out but then when he you know just wails on that console and you're just like oh man but it's just yeah all the little nuances from you know He's a he's he's becoming a villain, but he's also one of the first villains we've seen who's related to another villain. And they they explore that. I mean, the whole he's talking to his grandfather's helmet, like, help me see the dark side. And just it's all these differences instead of just I'm the villain of this movie and I wear black and I have red lightsaber. It's like, no, I'm related to the big bad. And, you know, he yeah, he has his tantrums and such, but. Uh, he obviously wields a lot of power. I mean, when he stops that blaster bolt in the very beginning, you're just like, oh, man, this guy is just I mean, it he is wields awesome. a lot of power, but he has a hard time fighting a janitor with a lightsaber. I'm just saying. Well, you know, gosh. We have He's to, been do we shot have to have by a crossbow in the <laughs> I abdomen. I understand yeah. he was shot, but I'm still saying. No, he he's been shot by a gun that you I mean, saw blow up three stormtroopers. They took like three scenes showing how awesome Han Solo thought that blaster was. 
just because they knew okay. that he was going to get shot just with it saying. later, and they wanted you to understand it was a very powerful. And don't thing. trash I, sanitation. I, I, get well, it. I think we learned that earlier when we discussed. Yeah, this. do we have to talk about this again? <laughs> don't Matt? trash sanitation, really, Bruce. <laughs> That's what you're going with. Oh God. Okay, I I like Ren. I think he's an interesting character, and the thing that makes him work the most for me is the fact that they were not afraid to make him Anakin-like. And I mean Anakin from the prequels. Uh, a character who's petulant, who likes to throw temper tantrums when he doesn't get his way. Uh, and with somebody who's trying to be like Vader, that's who Vader was. You know, um, you know, you lead the ancillary materials, and Vader is very much like that. If he doesn't get his way, he likes to kill somebody or destroy something. So... Um, the fact that this is an, you know, uh, and I, I love that Han says he had too much Vader in him. Well, Vader was also Anakin Skywalker, and yes, he's trying to be Vader, but a lot of what made Vader Vader was that dark side in Anakin. And uh, I, I thought that really worked, and so I'm really interested to see him grow. Um I thought what was really interesting, too, on top of that, is watching this First Order create its own little empire. And the way that they do that is not by using clones, even though Kylo makes somewhat of a joke about that, which I loved. Nice reference to the PT. Way to go, JJ, for letting that one squeak in. Um, but this fanatical regime, it, you know, it rises from the ashes. It rages against the order of the Republic. And, it, and in many ways, it feels like ISIS to me. Like it's that splinter group that's off in the distance that we don't want to really mess with. We don't want to see as an actual villain, but is really bad. And they are i mean they are as fan they're even more fanatical than the empire when it comes to their like they don't seem to like aliens so they're very much like the empire in that way they uh, they're raising and they've got these troopers that they're programming uh from birth i mean they are basically treating their troopers like clones but they're just human babies that they stole like, this is a crazy, creepy, scary organization. <laughs> you mean like the Jedi used to take children? But the, see, I always felt like the Jedi went to the families and said, your child is strong in the Force. <laughs> May we have your child to train them as a Jedi. I always felt like the Jedi asked. I feel like here, they just take kids. And that's why Finn never knew his parents. He was just taken. Yes, but you still wind up with somebody who is uh, fiercely devoted to whatever cause they've been raised with. It, so that's right. the similarity with the yeah. Jedi yeah. and even the you're Sith. You're right. Well, and it, on the same terms, we're going to. They cut this short little scene out where Kylo first talks to, you know, him and, and uh, Hux are talking to Snoke. And they cut this wonderful little scene out about. Uh, extending that where you get just a little bit more about why the First Order is doing what it's doing and the, why they like Vader in the Empire, but they also see Vader as being weak in the end. And it's just this wonderful little scene. It's just like 
seven, eight lines of extended dialogue where they're talking about, you know, that the Galactic Empire fell because it fell to sentiment. Like Vader failed in their eyes. You know, it gave in to sentiment. It, it basically gave this wonderful explanation that the this new dark side that's rising is looking to be like the old Jedi, but completely cut off. Like, absolutely no attachment, no sentiment, no empathy whatsoever. It's law and order. It's our way or the highway. That's it. And they cut that little bit out, and it's like, J.J., let the scene breathe just enough so that we have a little bit more to go on and why and where people are. And you you definitely get a lot of parallels to like World War Two and Germany. I mean, the, the Empire has mm-hmm. fallen, but the Empire is made up of the citizens of the galaxy. Like it's not a country within it. So you know, as you round up the leaders and you, you know, you force them into the uncharted lands, you know, that you you disarm them and you say, okay, you can't have stormtroopers. You can't have star destroyers. And of course, you know, they build star destroyers and they <laughs> create stormtroopers. And then now they're coming back, you know, with, with a vengeance. Uh, but I also, I really like also how Kylo and Hux are young because, when you see so much destruction that happened, like after Jedi, it's like all the old guard, like they all died. Like there is nothing left, but young people probably just based off of their ages. It looks like Kylo and, and uh, Hux were not even alive during the battle of uh, Endor. You know, they've known, they've known nothing but a crumbling empire world. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of actually like after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a lot of um, confusion and uh, like, you know, the first order makes sense even in that context of, you know, there were people who wanted the Soviet Union reestablished because they were like, at least we knew what was going on and there wasn't chaos everywhere. And so like, you know, I think there's even, yeah, there's the World War Two parallel, but there's even a Cold War like uh, 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 parallel with, uh, you know, like uh, Eastern Europe and stuff like that, where there was a lot of turmoil. And if somebody had risen, if they had elected Putin instead of Boris Yeltsin back in the 1990s, things go very differently and potentially, you know, parallel this in a little bit more of a way. Well, yeah. And I mean, what's so great about this is that, you know, JJ said one of the inspirations for the First Order was, you know, all the Nazis who went to Argentina, what it would happen if they had banded together and created a new order based on the same ideals, but trying to rectify the mistakes that they had seen that Hitler had made. And so all of this really works together, and I really like it. But I wanted to ask you guys about this kind of history of a long time ago, because 30 years have passed, and one of the things that really bothers me here is that the overreaction to the prequels and not wanting to get into any politics whatsoever I think really hurts the stage for, okay, why is there a republic but then there's a resistance and there's this first order and how are they all related and why? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And then, I mean, when they destroy the uh, The public capital, why the hell are they keeping their entire fleet in one system? 
it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, that fleet should be spurs throughout the galaxy keeping order right like they're so afraid of the pt that they won't even touch the political ramifications and they're leaving it to and and sadly they're leaving it to the ancillary materials i would say before the awakening answers this question completely as does the novelization and but I don't understand why you wouldn't allow a few scenes to breathe a little bit more to explain why we are what we are because it really doesn't make sense in the film. I've seen it four times. They never make sense of why there's a resistance and that the Republic is not taking this on. Now, I will say in the ancillary materials, they make it very clear that the New Republic is unwilling to get into a full-scale war with the First Order. They do not see them as a threat. So basically, take this into our current-day situation of ISIS and the way that the United States have dealt with that situation, and you have a perfect example of the corollary with what's happening. But there's nothing in the film to give that. And there was this wonderful scene in the novelization where Leia is talking to her envoy, her personal envoy, to the Senate, and she's sending that person to the Senate. And when the planet that the Republic is on is destroyed, that's that girl. You see that girl, and that's who that is. Like, you have a connection to that person. And, like, I, I don't understand why they you would cut out these really important scenes that are setting the stage of why the galaxy is like it is. Because... You can't deny that 30 years have passed from the OT and the fact that the PT happened as well and just jump into this blindly like Star Wars does and say, "Oh, we're, you know, we're you know, we're good." All that stuff happened. I don't know. What did you guys think? Did that bother you at all because to me it's my biggest gripe of the film that they can't spend maybe 2 minutes to explain the political milieu that we're in to allow us to understand why the hell there's a resistance when the new republic i mean they're built a base like three times bigger than the death star these guys are pretty bad yeah that was the only part where i did it wasn't 100 percent clear in the film and i'd pre-ordered the uh, visual dictionary and incredible cross-sections book so as soon as i got out i opened that up and it's literally like the first page after the introduction and it says, Hey, here's the three factions, the new Republic, you know, and they don't want to commit to a full scale war with the uh, first order. So they allow and back princess Leia to create the resistance. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes total sense. Like it took me t one minute to read. So, I mean, did I like hate the film because I didn't understand that part of the context? No, but it would have been nice to have a little extra something. I, I agree. Uh, but that was just me. It would have been nice. I, I, it, it didn't again. Yeah. I didn't ruin the film for me either. Uh, I think as fans, like we are, we're so invested in this. We want more of that narrative. We want more answers like that. I think for the general viewer, uh, the filmmakers probably felt like there's a certain pace. They didn't want to get bogged down too much into it i think it's 
I think for the general viewer, they look as, well, there's the bad guys that rose up from the ashes of the Empire, and there's this New Republic, and the Resistance works for the New Republic to get the bad guys. So enough there. We don't need to get bogged down too much into the politics. I don't know if that's a result of them trying to avoid trying to be like the prequels as much as they're trying to focus on the characters of the story and not too much of the backstory of what's going on in the galaxy and with these other organizations. I think it's just a matter of pacing and focusing on the characters' stories. Uh, You know, I used to have a a much bigger problem with it, but what I've sort of um, absorbed is that this is Star Wars in the era of the connected universe, and I think none of us are truly able I don't think anybody is left that is truly able to truly suss out what it was to think about Star Wars and the state of the galaxy stuff back in 1977 before Empire Strikes Back came out we are not really capable of viewing Star Wars out of the context of the other now six movies that have come out and So as a result, is there an urge within us to demand a higher level of explanation than the typical audience is going to want or need? Yeah. I mean, do I think do I think that a little bit more explanation about the factions would have worked better? Yes, I do. The title crawl, though, is the most literally expressive title crawl of the entire series in that there's no linguistic ambiguity for anything within it. Like, go back to Return of the Jedi. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on, and then you see the thing, you're like, begun construction? So is begun right now <laughs> or was begun three years before this crawl or was that they, now or later when will no, what's happening be now is happening now right but but you sort you sort of like use your head cannon and you're kind of like well obviously they needed more than two seconds to put that together and maybe they were building it at the same time as anyway um it i like i do agree that even just a couple more lines to to clarify it would have been better but this is star wars has traditionally left things unexplained um and left you to wonder what's going on and in that fashion engaged you as an audience member i i do think it could have been addressed better but at the same time i've become better with it since that first showing I wish that I felt like you did, John, because I've seen this four times and I'm still pissed at JJ for this because the same thing happened in Star Trek Into Darkness. There are some scenes in the novelization that are extended where the conversations really do help set the stage. And it doesn't take that much longer to allow some scenes to breathe or add at least a scene in that gives you a clear explanation of what's happening in a film, especially when I look back at the last six films of Star Wars, and especially the PT is not afraid to let you know what's going on and who the factions are and why. I throw a challenge flag on that because there is very specifically a scene in episode three, where if if Lucas himself had not trimmed the first half of it, 
the entire movie actually works better. And keep in mind, this is coming from somebody who feels that still that episode three is my favorite of the entire series, even in light of episode seven and all of that stuff. The part that he trimmed in front of the way it plays in the film is you jump over to Anakin and uh, Palpatine walking along and Palpatine says, I hope you trust me. And it's the scene where he, you know, he says, I'm appointing you to the Jedi Council. The front half of that scene that was filmed and didn't make the final cut is so incredibly, uh, uh, like, could have been so incredibly key, not only to the state of what Palpatine was doing to usurp power, but actually to the state of the personal relationship between Anakin and Padme. Like, I, like it's not just J.J. Abrams that has that has committed this this uh, crime uh, against yeah, the. Yeah, and I'm just saying to to me, it, it is an editing mistake, but it is something that I've seen in a lot of J.J. films, and he's continued here. and And we talked about this too because everybody is always running in this movie. Yes, nobody is ever never not running like. There's hardly any scene where we're not moving so fast that people aren't out of breath and sweating. And it's it, it's just a frustration for me that there aren't enough time. And, and again, Star Wars, we're, we're lo- JJ, you know, we're, we're remaking Star Wars here. This is literally just a remake of Star Wars with better effects. That movie has so many small scenes some very slow scenes. I mean, think about the scene in Obi-Wan's hut. It's it's exposition 101, but it's interesting. I'm never bored. It's just the way you do the scene, and J.J. seems to be afraid in this film to exposition enough so that I completely understand what's happening. And that just that's my main beef with this film, and it's why it could never rank as high is because there's key exposition onto key, you know, factions on the on the chessboard here that don't make sense unless I've read a couple of books. And I should not have to read a couple of books. And I'm defending that. I love Star Wars books. I, everybody knows. John, you and I, we cover them on the 602 Club Supplementals all the time. But I shouldn't have to be like, oh, go read that in this to get the full explanation. I, I should get that from the film. And I feel like the prequel trilogy was able to do that. Uh, you said something to me, John, when we were talking. You said the expanded universe used to be about expanding, not being essential and i love that the expanded universe has a a more essential nature to it now but how many people are really going to go out and buy the books as compared to the people who see the movie so it's just it's my main beef so and i and again i like i understand that i do i'm just trying to present sort of the alternate perspective, uh, especially, I mean, something that I learned was watching it with um, my wife, who's not a hardcore fan and will never touch a single piece of ancillary material. And she felt that the story was, you know, her her whole thing said was like, yeah, there were things that weren't 
really explained, but you know, it's that way in the first Star Wars too. It was like, you know, that was her perspective on it. So I like that sort of helped, you know, tease some things out for me. Well, what about R2? Because before an article came out on Entertainment Weekly where JJ explained specifically what he had meant for that character, it took me three times to figure out exactly the storyline that had happened with R2 by piecing the pieces together from out throughout the film because things happen very quickly. Again, as I was talking about with the pacing here, everything's moving so fast. What did you think about that? Because that's a really important storyline, and it kind of is that deus ex machina feel to it really badly by the end. Uh, I don't know. Does does that work for you guys? Um, or do you feel like they could have cut or redone some of those scenes to make it work better? I mean, you only had what two scenes just to begin with but you know i i felt i guess i just didn't miss r2 i mean i didn't miss him like being the lens we're seeing the films through like there's we've gotten many main characters going on and yes the the fine luke map part you know it in the end you could tell like what happened like that oh okay he activated and okay you know the droid said something to each other I guess there was enough pieces that I could understand what was going on that even though, I mean, when you're always having a droid, you always, there's a piece you don't understand because you don't speak droid, but, uh, yeah, unless you're unless Ray you're or, you know, Luke or, and she speaks Wookiee too. So that's pretty, important. well, she took that, uh, hooked on phonics worked for me, uh, uh, uh <laughs> call in service. But, uh, anyway, I, so I was fine with, with R2's role. I mean, it was just about as big as three POs and, I was at that point. You definitely got a feel for how much you were going to see of new characters versus old, so it didn't surprise me. I was before uh, Darren answered. I was going to. I was sitting here thinking. I'm going to say that I didn't really miss R2, and so then you said it. And I'm like, yay! You're the one who's getting in trouble by people who listen to this. But I didn't really miss him too. It wasn't that I don't like R2, but there was just so much going on and we're dealing with these characters and one by one, we're being introduced to other things and other people. It was like, it was just at the right moment to all of a sudden when BB-8 takes the, the cloth, the covering off of R2 and we see him, I'm like, Oh yeah, wait, yeah, we haven't had R2 yet in the film. There he is. Oh, but he's not working right now, but I'm sure we'll see him later, just like we're going to see Luke later. It almost makes sense that we don't get R2 up front because a lot of times we associate R2 with Luke. here, And so I think we'll see R2-D2 and Luke Skywalker, of course, take a more prominent role in the next film. And I kind of like that we have that to look forward to. Uh, in my head canon, it will always be that BB-8 reactivated um, R2 initially, but R2 didn't "quote unquote" wake up uh, until Ray was nearby. Yeah. He had some sort of sensor thing in him, and Luke was like, "When when somebody shows up that meets this criteria, then you can give them the map." Like he knew that it would have to be the right person because, of course, he's Luke and he's plugged into the Force and. He's waiting for it to awaken, as it were. Yeah, that's in my head canon, too. I felt it's once Ray was there, that's what was that signified R2 to say, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. Right. Oh, I could not disagree with anybody more uh, because it doesn't make any sense because 
door aids are not force sensitive, and I don't care how long R2 has been with Jedi, it still doesn't make any sense. I just um, want to know why did could now, you put a have sensor a in him to detect midichlorians? Oh God! Um, Calling that out was a mistake. Well, the, the red arm yeah, got replaced really when Ray showed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. My third time viewing, my thought was is that obviously Ren had mentioned that they had pulled the archives of the Empire and they had found most of the map and they're waiting for the other part to find that. So my thought was, well, R2 has had access to the Empire's records because they're no longer there. Um, and, you know, the New Republic now owns everything that the Empire used to. Not only that, but my wife pointed out that we've watched all throughout the Clone Wars and everything. She's like, R2 was Anakin's droid. He's had access to the Jedi Temple hundreds of times. You know, so R2 is basically the repository of everything in Star Wars that you could want to know in those memory banks. How he has enough space to hold all that, I have no idea. Um, apparently he has gigaquads and gigantiquads of data. And so my thought was is that after seeing it the third time, before I read this article, was that he had been in low power mode ever since Luke left, because that's what our, uh, C-3PO says, that he was searching through his databanks looking for this piece of the map that he knew he had to have somewhere. And then, of course, you know, Baby-8 comes over and talks to him, and... R2 is incentivized to continue to this because BB-8 has the last part of the map. Um, and then JJ came out and said, well, you know, he had access to the Empire's records on the Death Star and pulled those, and when BB-8 came over, he started looking for the map. So um, that makes sense to me. And honestly, watching it the fourth time, it f I can finally put all the pieces together, and it's mainly because it's so quick. Uh, my friend Nick Anastasio, who is the editor on The Clone Wars, had mentioned that he would not have had C-3PO say the line, oh, well, R2 couldn't possibly have that, um, because that kind of ruins what they're going for. I just, To me, it was just an editing thing, but after seeing it four times, it works okay now. Um, it just, again, it's a pacing issue to me. There are some things that are really important in this film that move by so quickly that if you're not paying attention every single second, you are going to miss. And that's a detriment to the storyline of the film and people watching it. Especially, it, it, I just think of that. If I'm somebody who knows Star Wars inside and out and I'm having an issue with it, I cannot imagine a person sitting there who has maybe watched one, two, none of the films. You know, like, how do they know what's going on? Because it's not really doing a good job of explaining itself. Like, I was sitting next to some a couple today uh, watching the film, and I heard them over, overheard them talking at the end, and he had never seen the films. He had only watched all six, like, just very recently, in, like, in the last few days. And, he, and I asked him what he thought, and he's like, it's pretty good. I mean, th I mean they don't explain the force very well in this one. So he's like, it could be a standalone, but there are some things that they don't really explain. And 
you know, if this is the first one you're coming in on, there are some things they don't really work on that well. So this was the part of the story where I was like, just, just not as sharp as it needs to be. So, um, humor for you guys. We've talked a lot about the, the fact that things are funny. Um, how did you guys feel like this works? As you know, a lot of people didn't like the humor in the prequels with Jar Jar and, um, but I mean, from the moment I thought Poe says, "Do I talk first? Do, do you? How does this work? Do you talk first? I I was in. The humor worked for me. So what yeah, about you guys? I, I like the humor. Again, Poe's line, C three PO popping out of nowhere, BB 8s thumbs up. I mean, it was sprinkled throughout the entire film. I mean, even Kylo Ren having his tantrum tantrum, and the two uh, troopers who are just like, "Nope, we're going this way." You know, I again. This movie has done so many things well in, in my in my view of hitting on the head and, and straddling the lines that are very difficult to do in film from a, a strong character that has a ton of abilities to the like we were saying, the comic relief stormtrooper to the humor. And overall, it's it's done, I think, very well in all those aspects. So I enjoyed the humor and and even that early line Again, just like you said, Matt, I think it 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 sets the tone for like, okay, this isn't gonna be because it's a pretty serious scene leading up to that. I mean, there's like people are dying and the first order is like killing, you know. It's but it's just like, especially since it's the introduction of Poe, really to us is how he's reacting, and it if anything, it sets his tone, if not the movie's tone. Yeah, I, the humor worked for me in this because the humor comes from the characters and their interaction with each other. It wasn't forced. And that's some of the criticism with the PT is sometimes that the humor is actually just kind of forced in there, or we're putting Jar Jar in there to just add humor to the scene because the other characters don't aren't, this isn't appropriate for the characters in, in the prequel trilogies to maybe have humor in the scene. So that's why Jar Jar is in the Phantom Menace there to be that comic relief where in this case it's the characters and JJ did the same thing with the two Star Trek films. He's very good at managing the, and, and focusing on the characters and their interactions to each other, which naturally brings humor to the scenes. It's a little jarring specifically because the, the characters in Star Wars, you know, with the exception of Jar Jar, like there's been humor, but it hasn't been like there was just something there's something different about the humor in this. That's a little bit more. Uh, the only way I can say it is that I feel that the humor in this is in danger of being like the humor of the genie in Aladdin, where kids today might look at it. You know, like we might still laugh at it, but, you know, in in Aladdin, there are references to Ed Sullivan and stuff like that. And it's like a very few people still around still getting an Ed Sullivan joke. And I feel that uh, there is a fair bit of humor um, in this that that plays the same way uh, where it's this is the Star Wars that feels the most rooted in modernity. Um, than than the other six. All that said, again, you know, like once once I resolved my issues with Finn, it worked better. Um, 
And there are some legitimate laugh lines. You know, again, the BB-8 thumbs up is fantastic. I think probably the one thing that that turns me into a grumpy old man is the... uh, I just I don't like Poe's initial quip with Kylo Ren because I feel it robs Kylo Ren of his menace in that scene. And uh, so, like, that's just the one note where, like, I will just continually harp Do you mean, like, the fact that if that was, like, a pilot and Vader, like, there's no way a pilot would make a quip against Vader? Right. I think Poe coming out of being tortured and having resisted it, coming out of that with a quip, like, so what are we supposed to do? You talk first, I talk first. Like, Poe has a just cause for his cockiness at that point. Whereas he's just witnessed somebody freeze a blaster bolt in midair that's just hanging there. I think even the most cocky person on the you know in the galaxy, as it were, has just soiled themselves. And it, like, I mean, basically, Kylo <laughs> Ren just stopped a bullet. And like, how do you not be like I? Like, there's no room for humor in that moment. It's like, oh my god, you are so powerful. That you literally just stopped a bullet. And I think froze that's what he should have said. Place oh my god, you just stopped a bullet and froze it in place. I think that's what he should have said to Kylo. That would have been even funnier. Sure. Yeah. There you go. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It's maybe that's because again, Kylo is the transitioning villain. He's like, you know, he's obviously a bad guy, but he's he's Vader was at the top of his game when we meet him. I mean, he comes in on the blockade runner just like owning the space right well the the way that i can resolve it in my head canon and come to peace with it is that kylo knows who he is i'm not kylo i'm sorry poe knows who kylo Uh is and so he's not necessarily afraid of him even though he's seen this um, amazing feat of strength he um, knows he's happy festivus everyone Mm -hmm. like right he know he knows the family history i know your dad so he (laughs) is not Exactly. Right. No, exactly. That, yeah. that's exactly I know, it. I, I hang out with your mom. No, that's it, because Poe grew up, or I mean, some of this, of course, I've read in, in, in the ancillary materials, but we know even from the, the scroll that Leia sends Poe out on this mission. So he obviously knows Leia, and he may know that Kylo is Han and Leia's son, and and that he's not a perfect villain, and he's not all that. He's not Vader, and it's kind of, and maybe he has a history and that's kind of how I took it, that he may have a history with Kylo from way back when. Well, I, I, again, that's, you know, if that ter- if that turns out to be the case or they don't say anything that contradicts it, I'll come. It makes even I'll more sense because it. of what Kylo says, where he goes, I didn't realize we had the world's most amazing pilot with us. Like, you don't say that from a personnel report that you you know, snuck out of the resistance. You say that because you knew him and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was Poe Dameron. Woohoo. You know, that, that it, it has more of a foreknowledge connotation. Damn. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, John, I think you said it best. The, the thing that hit me was that this is the first Star Wars film that feels more modern and the humor is very modern. It has that modern blockbuster feel to it. And a lot of the quips I could have seen coming straight from Kirk in 09 or Into Darkness as they were coming from, you know, obviously uh, Poe or Finn 
in this this film. So I, I think you guys are right on. I love what you're saying. I don't have anything to add. Um, on a whole, I, I like the humor in this. I think it works uh, mostly really well. And the more I see it, the more I enjoy it. Honestly, especially some of those Finn lines, especially when he's talking to Ray and trying to impress her about how he's with the Resistance. He's but with the Resistance. If you've seen Resistance people, they so. look like this. I'm going to say one thing, and then we're going to move on to the music and the design. I wish, and I didn't get to say this about um, when we were talking about the history. What I wish most about the history, and that we had gotten the opportunity to see with uh, the politics involved. The, the PT trilogy does a great job of, of showing us the fall of a republic into a, a, you know, with a despot and turning it into an empire and then the original trilogy is all about becoming going from the empire to defeating that empire and creating a new republic uh, and a new uh ga democratic galaxy and this one to me this trilogy seems like it's all going to be about the fact that when people forget that freedom costs and that you have to be constantly vigilant to protect that freedom. And I feel like that whole reference is really important and really timely in the world in which we live. And I love that Star Wars, to me, was teaching me a very timely lesson that we cannot forget the importance that, and the lesson that freedom is never free. And if we're not vigilant about it, it can fall again. We can fall into chaos again um, with evil people. Evil has to be held at bay because evil exists. It's real. And like Maz says, she's seen it a thousand times with different people like the Sith or the Empire or now the First Order. But it has to be fought. And we have to keep fighting the good fight. Or as Galadriel would say, the long defeat. Uh, so I, I really, that's that. I would love to see that more played out. Um, for you guys, all Star Wars movies, I think, mean two things to a lot of fans and just people in general: great music and awesome design. How do you feel like this film lives up for you in those respects? The music was disappointing uh, because London Symphony Orchestra or GTFO. Um, I can tell the first, the opening cue of when the, when the title crawl starts, I can tell that is not the London Symphony Orchestra, and I it does not sound right to me. Now, for the rest of the soundtrack, I'm working through it and starting to pick up on some similarities, but it is very... I don't know, maybe my opinion would change if I had access to like like they did for episode 1, like the, you know, the complete absolute soundtrack, but overall there were no themes that caught me uh the way that there were themes in the originals. Now I will say where I allow room is that Phantom Menace, I had a similar time coming to accept that score, but what really helped again was the fact that it was a London symphony orchestra and it just doesn't, it doesn't sound 
it doesn't grab me the same way this time around. And, you know, in terms of the design, I would have liked to see some more ships other than uh, reimagined X-Wings flying around. Yeah, I was kind of similar with the uh, with the score. I, I think I think part of it is, again, I've, I've only heard it for a matter of days. Like, you know, it, it's we've been prepped for this movie so much and a lot of visual things, but we haven't heard almost any of the score. So I think that is something that as you let as you let it in you know and let it like kind of seep around that that does help i i feel i'm in a very similar case where i've been trying to listen through it more and and try to pick out those themes i mean you have like ray's theme is track six which has some nice little melodies but again nothing nothing like luke's theme i mean when luke's theme hits you like get chills uh and there's you know there are other great tracks i think uh i'm gonna butcher it but Sherzo for x-wings you know that's skirto skirto uh for x-wings i mean that's a great piece and then of course the the jedi steps and finale um is just a great a great build but yeah it's maybe it's because we're just comparing it so much to the the original trilogy where i mean you listen to any of those tracks and we we could place the exact scene we it's the movie's playing in our heads but that's also because we listened to it for 30 some odd year, you know, a long time. So this feels like there's maybe four out of 23 tracks that like have that same. But again, I feel like every time I listen to it more and more, it, uh, it I, 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 another track pops out. I'm like, Oh, that, I like that part, you know, and it's, 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 it's growing on me. So I'm, I'm not dismissing it, but it, I, I, I think I'm in the same vein of what you're feeling where it it's going to need to grow on us a little more. It's starting to grow on me even more. I'm listening to the soundtrack and I, I do know certain scenes. There's certain melodies or certain notes that come up that I'm like, okay, this leads in this scene and this dialogue. It's like, I'm starting to recognize that the more I see the movie and listen to the soundtrack, I do love Ray's theme. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the Harry Potter theme. Uh, it's very similar in its style and the way it plays and it kind of underplays and builds up a little and comes back down. But when the first time I watched the movie, the, the, the music didn't stand out to me as much as it did when I remember seeing the other Star Wars movies. But now that I've seen the movie again, uh, I think because it was, again, taking it all in the first time, there's just so much going on. You're just, you're looking at the visuals and and, and the story and the music's going on. You're just kind of taking it all in. Um, I'm, I'm pleased with the music. I, I do think it's a little underplayed compared to some of the other films, but I do love John Williams and I love this soundtrack. And I'm wondering, I wonder if there was a choice to maybe not go in with big themes yet. And that's something they're saving for the next film or they want the Luke theme as Luke comes in the next thing to be more prominent and not have other themes kind of take away from that. I don't know. It's very tough for me. I love, 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 love soundtracks. My very first CD ever was the Jurassic Park soundtrack, the original. That's how much I love soundtracks, and they have been with me for so long, and, of course, John Williams as well. 
somebody mentioned the word melody, and I think that's key, and I just hit upon this, is that there are no great melodies here. There are great tunes. There are great sounds. There, there's great small motifs, but there's no actual melodies that I can hum. You know, uh, when I think about the, the Empire theme or I think about the um, Force theme or Leia's theme or, uh, you know, just the main theme for Star Wars or Battle of Heroes or the love theme from Attack of the Clones or Duel of Fates, all of those have these incredible melodies that I can hum in my head. I like Ray's theme. But there's no great melody there that sweeps me along and allows me to kind of hum along with it. That's what's missing here. It's not that John Williams is off his game. It's just that even the March of the Resistance doesn't have that great march feel where I can hum it. Uh, as it there's just there's a bit of magic that's missing from the music in it. And John, part of that is, I think, the London Symphony Orchestra. You're right. The horns at the very beginning of the, the main track are so off. Every time it feels like a synthesizer and not real horns. It drives yes. me crazy. It drives me crazy uh, because I was listening to one of the old soundtracks, and all of them sound the same, even the prequel trilogy. They're exactly note for note. Everything's the same. There's nothing off. This, it's completely off, and I can hear it, and it drives me nuts. The rest of the soundtrack is good. I have listened to it nonstop for days now. And, again, every time we get to Ray's theme, I really like it. Like you said, Bruce, it has that very Harry Potter-ish, Home Alone kind of feel to it. Really a lot of Home Alone in there. Um, that dun 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 it's 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 a combination of a lot of his stuff a, a lot of his uh, first order sounds a lot like uh, the Nazis and Indiana Jones the Last Crusade uh, it's very reminiscent of that so it's just it's not his best work and it's frustrating because this is Star Wars and I want John to nail it every time and he hadn't let me down with the prequel trilogy but I I honestly, if there's anything I'm let down by the most, it's 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 the fact that there's no theme that I'm humming in my head after seeing the movie. Yeah, so. and like Ray's theme, it's like it's starting. Like you get a little bit of a motif and you're like, Oh, here it comes, like and then it and then it just stops and you don't get any more and you're like, I want like a minute of that and I get ten seconds and it just ugh. Ugh. Now, the, the one defense I'll give is if you're talking about the actual release of the soundtrack, they've bungled soundtrack releases for decades, uh, especially with Star Wars, and they still haven't give a, given us the complete soundtracks for Episodes 2 and 3. So I think that really this is... Um, I, mean, I, will, I will never be able to not tell that the opening cue is off, regardless of whether I'm listening to the soundtrack or watching the film. But if, I, if I'm if i a betting man, I'm willing to bet Ray's theme has a treatment like Leia's... That Ray's theme has a treatment like Leia's theme or the Imperial March or Yoda's theme has, where Williams worked out a full four-minute piece and then worked it into the soundtrack. And I think that's what we're looking for because even in the very first pressings of 
Return of the Jedi, which was treated as a single album, even though they didn't exist as standalone pieces, Luke and Leia and March of the Ewoks were in there. And so we had fully developed themes that we could listen to independently. And I think that would help. And why on earth would they not release that? Um, like, like there's obviously an appetite for it. Why would you hold it back at this point? Give it to us, man. We all want so it. So you can sell the extended <laughs> version later on, John, and make all of us suckers buy it. Yeah, well, color me a sucker. Yeah, I will buy it too. Okay, I love that we have talked so much, and there's so much more we could talk about this film, but I, I think it's time for some final thoughts. Um, and, and this is where we can pick up the conversation in the Babel Conference with you guys or on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, but... Um, Final thoughts and ratings for the Force Awakens. Dan? Yeah, just the the overall design. The again, you, we're in this aged universe. We're back in the post OT time. You know, the Falcon. Who knows what's holding it together nowadays? I mean, that sucker's old, but pretty much spitting bailing wire. But uh, yeah, it's again like we've we talked like in the very beginning uh, when we were discussing you know, this movie, there's so many aspects to star Wars. There's the actual act of seeing it where if you're seeing it like at a theater and you're seeing it surrounded by a hundred other people that really want to see star Wars right now, you know, that's, that's something, you know, that you won't get next, you know, not next year as in next year, but like when you watch it on Blu-ray and you watch it on DVD and all the other versions, we're going to buy it on. Cause we know we will, you know, it, that's that's something that's part of the Star Wars experience uh, that this captures well. And and overall, I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I, uh, I've i heard so many people, so many of my friends who have seen it multiple times and they go, I see it the second time and I liked it even more. And especially with how little we knew of this going in, it's so dense. You know, you could watch it one time just listening to the music. You could watch it one time just trying to pick out, you know, how does everyone act around Ray? What do they know? What do they not know? I mean, there's, there's so many layers to peel away. Uh, it's like, can it just get on Blu-ray already? I want to, we need to watch this many more times. I need the screen caps, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it, it's, I mean, I know I'm going to see it a couple more times with family, with friends, and it's just it's been a fun ride. It's, it's a great time to be a star Wars fan right now. We're at, we're heading to this new, era uh and it's it's just great so little little quirks aside a film i really enjoyed and uh i will definitely be buying it on whatever version uh disney gives it to me for the next 20 years i uh i have moved from ambivalence to uh the second showing was sort of like a a a hammering on it um because I was just in that sort of mood. Um, and then after the third time now, and after, you know, that infamous discussion with my wife, like I've, I've come to really like it. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm pulling out things that I like about the film, as opposed to things that I dislike. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm just shifting my point of view on it, or if because I need to get on a path of saying, okay, I have no choice but to accept this, so let's just bring it into the family and like it. 
or whether this is a process I went through previously. I have like I I don't know. It's like it's all jumbled up for me and it's all emotional. But the thing that has really clicked for me and the reason that I have started to come to love slash like it um, is because finally on the third viewing there was a moment that had the emotional click for me and it was during the final fight when Ray calls the saber to her hand that's the moment that's my in to you know that's my journey to acceptance of the force awakens and willingness to view it another time and another time after that and go back and work it into the greater arc and figure out where it fits. So yeah, man, like I get it now. I, I'm I'm digging it. I will say that I love this movie. It is Star Wars for sure. Uh I you know, Matthew said about it being kind of a remake of a new hope, but we've seen that several times in Star Wars that themes repeat themselves and stories somewhat repeat themselves, and that's what has spawned the discussion of the ring theory. But I just love the humor. Uh, I love the fact that it feels like the OT, but not exactly. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that this has a more modern feel, which is perfect because when George Lucas was making the prequel trilogies, he said he wanted the original trilogy to feel like it was the 70s and the prequel trilogy to feel like it was a time before that, like the 40s or the 50s. Well, now we're seeing these films feeling like it's the 2015s and beyond. So I like the fact that the, the style and... uh the dialogue plays a little differently than the other films. So it feels like a different time period. Uh, lots of action, uh, lots of uh, insight into the force. There's a lot of questions to ask. And this film made me want to see more. It made me want to see what the next film is going to be about and what this next trilogy is going to be about. And the other thing I love about this movie is the fact that I'm hearing for the majority, I haven't heard a single person say they don't like the movie, but people like or love this movie, and it's just great to have a Star Wars movie that people aren't bitching and complaining about, that the general audience and Star Wars fans seem to really like. So I'm going to give it five thumbs up from BB-8. John, what would be your rating real quick? My, I, I, I can't give it one yet, man. Okay. This is the, no, this okay. is the new child that I've adopted into the family and I got to get to know him and I got to get to love him <laughs> in my own way. Like I can't I, I, I can't. He's the foster child still. I, I, I got to get to know him more. What about you, Darren? Could you I, I guess it's it's hard with ratings because I feel like often when I'm choosing something or like the the ability of a film, a lot of it has to do with like what mood I'm in or what am I going to want to watch right now? Like uh, we rewatched the the original trilogy in the in the week leading up to the uh, the Force Awakens, and maybe it's because we were watching it really late at night. Maybe because I've watched them like so many times, like it's just kind of passively going in. But I was like dozing off, not because they're bad films, but just because I've I've absorbed them. I'm full, and so there are times when I'm like, when people say, "What's your favorite Star Star Wars movie?" and and I'm like, "I really like Empire," but. If it was just one to exist, there's 
episode four. It's just it's so perfect as a as a standalone. So, uh, why why are you twisting my red severed mechanical arm, Matt? It's uh, I'll just say that I play. Yes, I didn't yes. even recognize did, you with did, the red did, arm. Did you see it? It's it's different. It's it's not like it was before. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention to the difference. Look, Pay look attention it, to it. it. I'm. S- that was just C three PO. I'm surprised saying, when Let he me have a scene. Of, uh, uh, <laughs> Leia, it, he wasn't like with his arm up. Like it's right in the camera. You know, just gotta see. It. But no. <laughs> look, but it's look, red. I'll just say, you know, I- I'm planning on seeing this movie many times. My friends and family love this movie. I know. I mean, I I have a bunch of friends that dress up as Star Wars characters on a regular basis, and they like it as a Star Wars movie. Um, But I do also know others that it's not Star Wars, quote unquote, to them, or it's a meh. And that, you know, honestly, I would just recommend seeing it more than once. Because I've heard so many people who say when they see it more than once, it changes their opinion not that it's now 100% better and, oh boy, what was I thinking? But it it's so dense and there's so much to take in. Um, so I'll give it five viewings out of five. You need to watch it like five times, at least. All right. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's... I think this is fair. Um, I didn't comment, but I one of the weaknesses of this film, apart from the music, is the design work. Uh, none of the ship designs are inspiring whatsoever. Um, the only one that could possibly maybe Kylo's shuttle, but I don't like it. It it just it looks dumb, I think, compared to the rest of the di- designs we've gotten in Star Wars universe. It just the the length of those wings is so astronomically huge that it it makes it absurd instead of cool to me. Uh, it's very bat-like. Yes, it has the silhouette, but you know, I know George was always big on silhouette that you know immediately what the ship is. So at least that one has that. But any other ship that they designed for this film doesn't have that. The uh, the troop landers for the uh, you know the the first order are lame. Um, the uh, troop carrier for the resistance is god awful. It is horrible it is the worst design work i i mean i look i feel like i a will kid agree with, with legos that's five could have come up with a better design so i'm gonna knock this movie a few more times before i start to praise it this is a star wars film that is working to please instead of surprise and it's always doing that it's never working to surprise you it is only working to please you and that's a problem i think um, George was always about pushing the boundaries of what Star Wars was, and that's missing from this film because, as I said, it is literally a remake of Star Wars. It's not pushing the boundaries, and therefore it's missing that magic. Um, and working to please fanboys instead of truly inspiring a new generation of fans, I think, is also a problem. It's got the nostalgia, but it I don't know. There is something missing. It is, and it, I will say this as well, on the pace, this is Star Wars that is truly faster, more intense. Uh, this film never stops. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad, as we've talked about. On the flip side, 
Like you, John, I started off ambivalent after my first viewing. A little angry my second viewing, more accepting my third viewing, and by the fourth viewing, I'm okay with this film. I think this is a fun Star Wars film. It is definitely not my favorite Star Wars film. It is not the best Star Wars film, I don't believe. But looking at my list, and I'm, I'm pretty good about this, but looking on my list here, I, I think this is a four Dark Killer base movie. It's good. Uh, I don't get me restarted on ridiculous the fact that they could build a base three times the size of the Death Star on their budget. I don't ah. know where they're getting the money for that. I have a headcanon uh, moment for that real quick. They okay, took go, a, they please, took a planet, because I need some help. They took a planet and converted it. Well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. They didn't I mean, build it. it. Planet they before. just I mean, converted it. Plant trees well, on I your base I know that. I'm just saying, still. <laughs> they won't notice the giant blaster cannon. It's the Genesis Death Star. And they took 30 years to do it. I, I have one question. In the movie, they never say that Starkiller Base can move. Yeah, what happens when it takes up the sun? Base? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? So it, yes, don't it, even, it, yes. It, that, it that is a the thing. Star, okay, because it really bought, okay, I'm not the only one. Okay, all right. They were originally in a binary star system, and it was okay, the second star so. they were dreaming. Okay, well, after the second star, you're screwed. So, uh, all right, good to know that the shelf life of the Starkiller Base is two shots. Um all right. Well, I want to thank you guys. Uh, this has been fantastic. To I, I have been chomping at the bit to be able to talk about this movie, and I really appreciate all of you uh, being up with me to talk about this film late. I know for you guys on the East Coast as we're recording, it's very late. And uh, from my heart to yours as a Star Wars fan, I, I say thank you. Um, and uh, if you would like to support the network and make sure that these shows keep coming to you, you can do what our associate producers Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson have done, and they've gone to Patreon.com, and they support us because we here at Trek FM are a listener-supported network, which means that uh, we need your help to make sure that this content keeps coming to you. We have some huge things coming for you in 2016 as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Help us make sure that that does keep coming to you. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team today. Guys, um, awesome. I, I No words. Uh, so, Darren, before we go, let everybody know where they can find you online and then, of course, uh, about the podcast that you do here on the network. Yes, they can find me on the network on Earl Grey, which is our Star Trek The Next Generation podcast that I do each week with Philip Gilfus and Daniel Prue. And as far as being online, they can talk to me on Twitter under username DrSciFi, that's D-R-S-C-I-F-I, or they can go to my website, which is DrSciFi.com, where I blog about all of my troops as a member of the Empire. May it last forever. Long live the Empire! Um, Bruce, man, uh, we have done all seven films now. So we just got Rogue One coming up uh, next yeah, year. Yeah, so I'll be talking to you uh, 12 months from now, I guess. Yeah, I probably, I mean, because, you know, we never converse at all. Uh, but if I wanted to do that, where would I find you online? And, uh, you know, what podcasts are you involved in in the cloud? Well, you can find me on Twitter at admiral underscore rex and uh podcast wise you can find me 
on StarWarsReport.com with a podcast called Cloud City Casino. Now, John, ah, goodness, always a pleasure. And you've got plenty of things going on in the hopper and online. Let everybody know where you are. Well, uh, you can uh, find me and just look for Kessel Junkie. Um, typically, Twitter is where I'm hanging out. Uh, you can find me on the network with uh, Mike Schindler for Commentary Trek Stars, where we are spending this season examining the non-Trek work of everybody who is putting together Star Trek Beyond. It's uh, a pleasant little journey. We're, we're having a lot of fun with that. And then, of course, you can find me on Words with Nerds with my friend Craig, um, where we, we're all over the board. We're actually doing a two-part uh, reaction to The Force Awakens. And, um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Come and check me out. You should. You should. And you do some great things on Showvote, too, where you review the Rebels episode. So if anybody likes Star Wars Rebels, make sure you check that out on Showvote.com. And John reviews the latest episodes of that when they're coming out. So uh, be sure to do that. Um, yeah. Gosh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at MRushing. I'm on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. I do Literary Checks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, interviewing the authors as well. have so much fun doing that. And then I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. One quick thing, there's a special Twitter account that I'd like you to start following because John and I have something really special coming, and you're going to want to follow this because you're going to want to figure out what that is down the road, and that's The Jedi Masters. And make sure you capitalize The Jedi and Masters. And we'll let you know more as the new year rolls around. It's on the way. That's right, it is. Just let it in. Well, thank you. (laughs) so much for joining us and may the force be with you.